lying in the tall grass. Wish I had a pilot and a podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can haul ass and travel with portable speakers playing bars scats. I wish I had a million dollars. I wish I had a million albums. I wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp. I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man. Yeah. I wish I was a comedian on late night sitcoms syndicated on TV land. I wish this well had water in it. These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like, I wish, I wish that every time we love and it feels just like this. I wish, I wish that every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish that every time we love and it feels just like this. It feels just like this. It feels Wish I had a time machine. Wish I had a better rhyming scheme. Wish that I could speak to giants after climbing up a green stalk that grew from my lima bean. I wish that I could spread my wings. I wish that I had seven limbs. Yeah, that way I'd hold on to everything and laugh when I hear people wishing for the better things. I wish I spoke fluent Spanish. Dímelo, dímelo. At least I kind of understand it. <laughs> wish that I could throw the deuce like Gambit and get so large I could play pool with the planets. Yeah. I wish I was an astronaut. I wish I knew more classic rock. <laughs> Focused on myself. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like. I wish, I wish that every time we love and it feels just like this. I wish, I wish that every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish that every time we move in, it feels just like, like this. Feels just like this. It's just, it's like, like who the donkey? We would turn some dumb shit into something that got everybody wild. And our circumference make assumptions, it ain't nothing new. Fuck a mile, fuck a you. I've been chewing through these rappers, flavors lasting love a loop. Gumbo stewed of a bender, Carolina rice. Two days and I'm dying no mighty good times. Hanging in the chapel. Waiting for a hot meal, lighting up the combine. Looking for a hot meal, about to start a dot Hello, cats and kittens, and welcome to another episode of The Debrief. I am your host, Brianna Joy Gray. In this week's episode was a real banger, in my humble opinion. David Sirota, friend of the show, is back on the podcast doing what he does best, explaining why the hill is so fakakt. And I, you know, learned things about the procedural process around the IRA, I feel like that's a really weird acronym, um, the Inflation Reduction Act uh, that I, I hadn't even heard of yet. And um, I think that he continues to elevate the substance of our critique of the Democratic Party establishment like few others in the space. So I really appreciated him joining us. Uh, I'm going to start off this episode with a little clip from um, bad faith. It's something I sometimes used to do and haven't done in a while, but then we'll get straight to questions. Here we go. It's undeniable that in the legislative text of the bill, uh, it includes a big build out uh, of fossil fuels in this in, in two huge ways. One, uh, Joe Manchin got put into the bill 
uh, a provision that effectively ties the expansion of solar and wind infrastructure development to an expansion of oil and gas leases uh, mm -hmm. offshore and onshore. And he went on Fox News and he bragged about this. And, and he was accurate in, in how he described it. He said, you know, that, that essentially renewable energy expansion uh, cannot now happen without an expansion of available areas for the fossil fuel industry to drill offshore and onshore. So that's one piece of it. Uh, the other piece is this side deal uh, that hasn't been fully fleshed out, but has been uh, acknowledged that Manchin got the Democrats reportedly to agree to uh, expedited uh, permitting processes for fossil fuel infrastructure pipelines and the like. Uh, so, and by the way, the side deal is not included in any of the emissions reductions estimates uh, that we just talked so, about. So how do we even know about this side deal? Because Schumer's office and Manchin's office apparently kind of leaked it out there. There was a leaked draft of it that, that came out. Uh, Bloomberg News uh, found it. And Wait, so they, it... they purposefully want us to know that they're finagling behind our backs to undermine climate efforts by get, cutting deals for Joe Manchin? Well, Manchin is bragging about it because there's a big pipeline in his in his state uh, right. called the Mountain Valley Pipeline. Uh, which people have been fighting for years because of the environmental years. impact that yes. goes under aquifer, goes through aquifers, would jeopardize right. the, the local water supply. Right. Environmental groups say that the emissions that would come from that one pipeline alone uh, could be about nine, the equivalent of putting 19 million new cars on the road. Cool, 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 cool. Just 19 million new cars. Let's hear from you guys. Red, what is up in the Midwest? <laughs> How you doing, Chicago Red? I'm good. Now, before I even start talking shit, <laughs> somebody just messaged me and said that the chat was disabled. The chat is disabled. You're right. I don't see. Wait a minute. Can I control that? I don't think I can control that. Oh, man. What's going on? What the hell? What? Yeah, shit. <laughs> have, have people noticed this being a thing in other rooms is it like a, a site-wide issue today i don't know this shit been acting stupid all week okay i see some thumbs up to that so okay so long as it's not something that i can do or change or my fault i'm sorry about that guys i love the chat i missed the chat already i don't know i don't know what to do about that here here's what i'm gonna keep my eye on the uh tweet i just tweeted saying that we've gone live and if you have something like really pressing to say go ahead and say it under that tweet. I tweeted it five minutes ago, um, and I'll I'll just keep my eye on it. But what what are you? What's on your mind tonight, Red? Oh man, listen. There's so <laughs> much that we there's so much we can say about this. All this mess about just this is I don't even know why we even saying this is even a betrayal. Did we really expect anything to come from this? We know Joe Manchin was about to just look out for himself and his coal mines or his pipelines or whatever the fuck he's so mm -hmm. happy about we know the tricks we know the grips in any way shape or form i would even say you may want to be careful you and dave may want to be careful with exposing this type of shit because they may come at the office they gonna get you but i mean as a thought experiment what do you think would happen in a hypothetical world where they invite david sirota on Rachel Maddow, I guess she's not on the air anymore, but some like really popular mainstream, Tom Lemon. You know, what, what happens if he gets on there, he's on a panel, they ask him, what do you think about 
uh, Biden's uh, climate plan, climate bill. Isn't this like a huge win for the Dems? Like, what do you, I have a hard time even wrapping my brain around that scenario? Like, David Sirota versus Bill Maher, what happens? <laughs> Somebody's gonna say that's a good point, and I'm going to respond to that point. Then we're gonna end. Somebody's gonna come out, and then David Sirota's probably gonna be like that dude at that college that was like, Don't you tase me, bro? <laughs> like, what here, man? But, this, but that just kind of goes to show, like, the fact that, yeah, we, we just gonna put it out there. I just don't think they give a fuck. So, yeah, I mean, it's, that's the thing, man. Out there. They, they, don't, they don't care, but also it's like they never have to answer for it because David Saruta is never invited into those spaces. None of us are ever invited into those spaces. Even someone like Mehdi Hassan, who I would argue, I know people have their critiques. I'm not, you know, I, I'm not naive to that. But I don't even see him having a ton of people from our world on there, even though, you know, he's an intercept guy who is, you know, friendly with a lot of folks like Saruta. It's so weird how is there, there's this complete and total wall up preventing anybody in the mainstream from hearing anything even vaguely truthful about this stuff. Oh, my God. I can't. I mean, I don't know because I'm already in, like, dressed in this world. I, I'm cursed. I know better. And that's kind of fucked up, and I'll explain that later. But it just, it just kind of mind boggles me, like, it was like there was even the thing on Instagram where people was not, my girlfriend even sent me this and she was just like okay wait they signed a pen what did he what did he do what did he just sign I was just like just sign that stupid inflation reduction with <laughs> reduction shit so and then it was like a weird moment where he kind of like looked this stuck and he handed Joe Manchin the pen and <laughs> oh like, you know the the actual like signing yeah I saw people making fun of that clip I don't know what was going on there man which one was worse is that. Or when Trump signs something and be holding it up like it's a diploma or like an achievement, like he got honor roll or some shit. I'm just like, oh God, can we can we stop with this damn <laughs> performing politics? Damn. Yeah, honestly, I might have to say that Trump comes off better in these signature scenarios because nobody was questioning whether you know Trump knew where he was. Exactly. At least Trump will probably at least look coherent. You know yeah. what? It's just kind of funny. Paul Mooney said it best when Obama got elected. It's like America is bad news. There will never be another white president ever. And there hasn't been since. Since we've had a black man for a president, we've had a Oompa Loompa for a president, and we've had a corpse for a president. I am scared to see where the hell this country goes next. I hate to see who runs it next. Oh, you're a comedian, Red. See, now I really do wish we had the chat because I know people are cracking up at you. I'm not, that's the sad thing. I'm not <laughs> even being funny. Brie, like, I swear to God, I'm having, like, a dilemma right now because I feel bad because I'm out here, like, just talking to people, telling people the truth, and I'll be showing these people, I'll be showing these people, like, your radars, I'll be showing them your podcast episode, and i just be making people politically homeless. I'm actually starting to feel bad that, like, me and my uh, cousin and a couple of my friends was talking, and we was like listening to the uh, we was listening to Kendrick Lamar how to pimp a butterfly. You ever listen mm-hmm. to the song where he did Mortal Man when he was talking to Tupac? Like, no, you, know, you guys know that I'm really bad at music, right? <laughs> I'm a normie, we basic. We okay, wouldn't know that way. You be setting up these playlists, how you be ending off the show, how you be even ending off the call. But, okay, the- but you know, I usually pick old music. I very rarely pick contemporary music. Oh, new. Eh, who cares? <laughs> but can't beat the classics. But no, um, actually in the song, uh, 
Pac said something where he was like, you know, in this country, you know, a black man only has like so many times where he can like exhibit maximum strength and like fight back and like call things out because it's like for some reason in this country when you turn 30, it's like they take the heart and it's like they take the fight out of you, like the heart and the soul out of you. And we, it was like sitting around wondering like, why is that? Like, why do you feel that way and whatever? I was like, I'll tell you why. Cause they don't want another fucking Martin Luther King or Malcolm X coming up and popping up. Cause that's when those motherfuckers started reading that shit. Yeah. And as I come towards the end of my twenties, I am starting <laughs> to realize that a lot of this shit is bullshit. So yeah. It's just, we'll have heart. I'm 37 and I still have hope. <laughs> you still actually... have a whole lot of heart. You still do it. It's like at least this generation is at least doing a little bit better at that. And actually, that's probably where I would probably like to end off at. I do want to give you, I really want to give you your flowers right now. Like you, you need to own up, talk your shit because you've been the big dog out here lately. Everybody <laughs> is talking about, everybody is talking about you and Jane get everybody is just pretty much just like she got she got it going she got it going on she's on point she's on to something everybody's worried about what brie is saying and i'm just like <laughs> i mean that's very kind of you look i'm just trying to figure out i'm just trying to figure out what to do and what's productive you have these these flashes i mean look i, I obviously am pleased with how you know i, I appreciate all of the the, the co- kind comments about how the jank interview went but also there was a part of me that's like, oh, the point of this was to, you know, heal. And I don't know how much healing <laughs> is coming out and versus how much kind of like relitigating the things that hurt people. Um, I will say I, my favorite, the, you know, the most reassuring thing in the comments when I look under the video are the people who said, oh, I actually thought that Brianna was like really terrible based on how they've been talking about her on Young Turks. And it was nice to actually hear from her myself. And so, like, I do think that there's a world where an audience that is being kind of fed one narrative about force the vote or any other other things that have kind of defined this half of the let, left split, having an opportunity to kind of burst their narrative bubble, I think, was productive. I I do wish, you know, I do wish that it felt a little bit more like, oh, now we can all be friends again. Like, oh, I don't have to worry about muting half of Young Turks or whatever, you know, right. because they might pop off again. I will say I've been very pleased that there hasn't been any, like, internet eruptions the way there were, was after the Sam Zeter interview. Because remember, I thought that went well, and we ended the interview well. Like, it was spicy, but we all ended as friends. And then, like, a day or two later on Twitter, there was a series of tweets from Sam that made everything ugly. Uh, and I'm, I'm I mean, very pleased that that hasn't never- happened. I mean, I guess it's never a bad day when you get people talking. I know being the main character of the day is like, <laughs> or being the main character of the moment is like a scary thing. But I mean, look, it's good to have these conversations and it's good to talk. I really wish like Jane could kind of take that from like you guys are talking and actually sit down and talk with Jimmy Dore and all these other oh, people. I would love like, it. Stop this and kind of like stop this left divide. But you know what? I mean, it's on us to do what we got to do. And I mean, I'm still out here talking my shit and like yeah, said, Robbie, 20... Robbie, Robbie was like, can you get, you know, like Jimmy on the, on rising? And I was like, well, if I have Jimmy on, if we have Jimmy on rising and we don't have Jank on rising, it's going to not look good. And I think Jank will have an issue with it probably. I don't mean, I don't mean to put words in his mouth, but I would just suspect. And as he said during our conversation, I don't think he'd be willing to come on with Jimmy. So it feels like that could potentially just blow everything up again and make people very upset. I mean, you feel no way personally about it. So I don't bring his name up. I'm, I'm honestly like, we, 
Oh come if on, they, but you, not, you know if they're not gonna talk. We can if they're not gonna talk, then I just say just leave it be. We we kind of got bigger shit to worry about than right. YouTube dudes going at it for whatever reason. But right. like if we gotta have these conversations, I always use you as a starting point. So that's what I'm saying. You the big dog. <laughs> uh, tell the hill to cut you the checks, like I said. <laughs> you the only thing that's keeping that shit relevant. But I mean, yeah, I mean. I mean, it's, like, it'd be even so dope just sitting there talking with you and just, like, seeing just, like, how far, like, a lot of shit come. And I love this Bad Faith community. And I love the show. Definitely loved it with uh, you and David Sorota. I loved it. Played it for my... Can't wait to play this for my grandmother so that way she can, like, pick up some new tricks and just be like, yep, see? This is just all bullshit. Because it's kind of weird. Like, when I was a kid and we used to, like, see all these politicians, like, pull these grips and pull these tricks and whatever. Mm-hmm. We just used to, we my, in my family, probably always just rooted off. It's like, well, they're not going to care about black people because they're not going to care about poor people because that's mm-hmm. mostly black people's problems. So mm-hmm. we just kind of always rooted off that way. I feel like a lot of that's kind of stopped right after Obama came because when that shit didn't really change that much after him, mm-hmm. now we kind of really don't got that excuse or we don't have like those talking points. And if anything, we now know more. We now know, okay, parliamentarians can come in and just say, oh, well, we just don't think this is good. And even though it, what the fuck they say don't matter, they just gonna make whoever decides to run shit, which is once again why it's scary why Trump, because Trump ain't letting something like a parliamentarian stop him from doing what the fuck he wanna do. He ain't even scared of the damn FBI. <laughs> What the fuck he don't care about what a parliamentarian say, but oh now all of a sudden what this motherfucker says is so goddamn important. Who is the goddamn who is the goddamn leader of this country? God damn it. Right, I'm gonna have to steal that. The Democrats are out here afraid of the parliamentarian and Trump's not even afraid of the FBI. Hey, like goddamn. Sorry, I'm snorting over here. <laughs> Ooh, all right, look, I, I, look, let me stop talking shit. <laughs> All I'm going to say is this. And since everybody, and since everybody, all I'm going to say is this. Since everybody got my cousin's name in their mouth, y'all better come correct and y'all better come respectful. Because if y'all don't, then you got to see me on phone now. <laughs> Thank you, Red. Oh, and before man. I sign, and yeah, before please. I sign off, I see Biden, I see Biden in the line. I just want to say, Biden, what up? Get up with me, homie. <laughs> I I love that you guys love each other. I I love this for all of us. Thank you for calling in. I will see you on the flip side, Red. No doubt. Keep the faith. (laughs) Keep the faith. All right. Cousin Gray. Cousin Eric Gray. It's been a while. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. What's on your mind this evening? Um, well, in other news, capitalists just doing capitalist shit. Anything in particular this time? No. No, we just, um... Just seeing the whole Schumer Mansion mm. gentleman bullshit. Mm-hmm. I'm not even calling it gentleman's agreement. It's called gentleman's fuckery. That's what that is. Mm. Um. Anyway, with that with that being said, with with them clearly not giving a shit about the environment, and it's it's really just a. How do I not sound like a condescending douche? Don't oh, worry well, about too, it. This is a safe space. Oh well, too late. Um. <laughs> You gotta understand, a lot of these Dem voters are so oblivious. Mm-hmm. And just like a lot of Republican voters. Mm-hmm. You just, more. Yeah, it's just like, I look I look at these, I look at them, I'm like, I get that you don't pay attention that much, but come the fuck on. You mean about like, this about this bill and them celebrating the bill and everybody yelling at David Sirota yeah. like he doesn't and, get and, it? And on, top, and on top of, and just looking at reality. Mm-hmm. I'm like, um, well, the gas prices came down. And? And? 
You know, what, you know what's so funny? Did you happen to catch um, any of uh, the segment I did? We did on Rising this morning. We interviewed. It was a it's a bipartisan panel. You know, like a liberal and a conservative talking yeah. about the IRA. And what was so funny? It's like so the liberal person is just kind of like a scientist about it. She's an economist, and she was like, "Well, it doesn't really. You know, the only part that really reduces inflation is deficit reduction, and here's the good stuff, but it's not as good as people would want." I mean, she gave a pretty straightforward report. She didn't try to like, you know, blow blow it up and like make it sound like it was better than it was. And then the conservative from the Heritage Institute just went on a rant complaining about how it didn't do anything and it was horrible and Biden was shutting down oil drilling and all of the stuff that patently isn't true. And so I asked him like, okay, well, what would you like to do in the alternative? Maybe I'll play a clip of it. He had nothing to say. Um, and then he, uh, I, he was like the, the oil prices the, we need more oil drilling oil prices, um, are still high. Everything is still bad. Inflation is still bad. I said, well, look, either you, you know, tell me, tell me what you would want to do on the alternative. But also you're bragging. He was bragging about how everything was good under Trump. He was bragging. He, he didn't care that Trump had a bigger deficit. He, he just said that everything was good under Trump and celebrated the exact same things under Trump that were happening under Obama and that had happened under Joe Biden. And what it really like the really clear sense of it was everything is always the same. People have always bragged about how good it was, even when people were suffering. And I said that to him. I said, you're doing exactly what you're accusing Biden of doing right now, which is to celebrate a victory lap when people are suffering. When Trump was president, people were also still suffering because people are always suffering. And you're saying that everything was housey on them when it obviously wasn't. And he just had absolutely no answer for it. Absolutely no answer for it. And this is the thing about conservatives. At least Democrats, like, I don't mean to say at least, but like Democrats will tell you they're doing a good thing. And like, it'll be a not that good thing. Republicans will just say everything is bad. And they get away with not even trying to offer an alternative, like not even trying. This interview it blew my mind. You guys should go. It was with it's called heated debate. Will Inflation Reduction Act actually reduce inflation? Like this is that, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Eric. But like that, I, I resonate with no, what you're saying. No, yeah, go no, ahead. No, you're just you're just adding to my point that both of them, that both Democrats and um, Republicans in general are just trash. Yeah, I mean that just cements it, like. I'm just asking people to do something as basic as paying attention. It doesn't require you to really know anything about policy. Yeah. That's some fucking common sense. Yeah. Um, speaking of, cause we got to talk about something. Um, this thing with Jenk. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still didn't like you going on there. Okay. And tell me why. It's cause he's in bad faith. Okay. And I get that you want to be open in discourse. Just the thing is, why not? I I guess I'm like, I I just don't, I don't know. I just don't, I just don't like that you wasted your time with someone as bad faith as Jack. Like, I'm not, like, if you're talking to some conservative or whatever, and that conservative actually believes what they say, that's fine. No issue with that. But mm-hmm. as I was as I was watching this, I'm just like, as at some point, I'm like, Bree's too nice. Like, I'm I'm watching this going, you're too damn nice. Jank would have been got cussed out within like half of by thirty minutes. And how do you think that would have gone? Play that I out have, for me. I wouldn't have cared at that point. Okay, so it sounds like maybe you shouldn't debate Jank because it sounds I'm, I'm, like well, I wouldn't have even entertained it anyway. 
Well, and it seems, it sounds like that's the right choice because it seems like that wouldn't necessarily be productive because, you know, the, how you're describing how that would go. No, because no, he's already coming in bad faith, though. Okay, I already so, know that. So why am I, why, why right. are we... Because Eric, I would, I mean, I would rather, well, like, Eric, like, I'm presuming... saying, I'm saying, I'm saying, I would, I don't have an issue of talking with someone who disagrees with me in good faith. No, I, that's I a different conversation. So yeah, can I explain to you what I, can I explain to you why I chose to do it? Go ahead. Okay. We have different goals. You seem to think that the answer, the reason for this conversation is some exploratory mission to, you know, convince chank of something and i'm going to talk to him and maybe i think hocus pocus his entire worldview is going to change or something like that no that's but that's what not, did i say what, what did saying. i say to that's Cenk? not what i'm saying that's not okay, what i'm saying i'm sorry for mischaracterizing you but i'll just speak on behalf of what i was planning to do when what did i say to jank at the end of the interview about why i speak to and about people like marjorie taylor green when they say things that i agree with I said that it is not a conversation addressing Marjorie Taylor Greene or about Marjorie Taylor Greene or to convince Marjorie Taylor Greene, who was a bad faith actor, of anything. Now, I'm not saying that I believe that Chank is similar to Marjorie Taylor Greene, but at the end of the day, I went on a show that has a much bigger audience than I do, a show that has been, frankly, very explicitly maligning me as a human being for over a year and demonstrated to an audience that knows nothing of me other than the fact that I have horrible personal things have been said about me for a year demonstrated by actually being measured, calm, sensitive, and compassionate that anybody who would have said those things about me is a bad faith actor. And I think that's constructive. I think it clears my name. I think it makes a good case for all of the things we've been saying on the quote unquote Jimmy Dore left that have had not, no fair airing on that channel. And I think the enormous public response to that discussion, including from TYT's own audience, proves exactly why it was useful, even if I did not achieve the goal, which was secondary, and I would have, of course, liked to have achieved, which is to really feel a lot closer to Chank and to truly feel like all of the air was clear. I do think some of the air was cleared, but obviously I do wish the whole thing had been a lot more, you know, a lot less heated than it was. But so what do you, what do you make of that? Do you think that there's no value and getting, let's say, our actual articulated theory about force the vote on a channel that has been maligning force the vote without ever talking about what it actually means or debunking the Kevin McCarthy stuff? Do you not think it's valuable for me to have an opportunity to show that I'm not this evil, conniving associate of everybody terrible that everyone over there apparently hates and thinks is unreasonable? Do you see no value in any of that? I don't know why people would think of that of you. Well, but, because that channel, the I mean, entire channel has been saying I mean, very explicitly I mean, that about me for over a year. I mean, Jenks Jen, is a jackass. I mean, if, if, like I said, I can't tell you what to do. You're grown. Um, I'll, I'll just say there's no issue with, my, I didn't have an issue with you going on per se. Mm -hmm. My issue was that Jank was so bad faith. Well, Jenks, like Jenks intentions, like I don't trust him. Like I said, if, it, if this was a right winger that had good faith arguments to you, that actually was the courage of their convictions, fine. But like with Jank, as soon as he started bringing up Jimmy, I'm like, ah, shit, here we fucking go. <laughs> Over here, sounding like a bitter ass ex girlfriend or some shit. Right, and nobody would. I mean, if you know, to the extent that that's how people perceived it, 
that would be not a known quantity to many people who still really like and respect and listen to and subscribe to Jank. No one would ever have our perspective of how we're treated and how unfairly we think we're being maligned on that channel, but for having the opportunity to juxtapose our approach to their approach. Yeah, I mean, if it, if it worked, like given that it clearly something did happen in the comments, I'll concede that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just that's I, I don't know. It's just Jank just gets on my nerves. Like that. That's mm-hmm. but you did what you had to do, mm-hmm. and whatever. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I appreciate you weighing in. I mean, I you know you seem to have a, had a response to Jank's approach that you know a lot of people obviously shared, uh, and I'm. I'm just grateful that I had an opportunity to represent myself in my own words in a space where, you know, I've been spoken about in an unpretty, you know, I think unrepresentative way. And I think uh, something useful came of it. So, I, you know, reasonable minds can disagree about that, but I, I, I respect your opinion. I, I guess I guess what bothers me, too, is that if this if Jake seriously had a problem with you, why not just privately conversate with you? Well, I reached out to him. Well, well, first of all, I don't know why he said what he said about me being a fake leftist. You know, an hour and 15 minute conversation. I'm, I'm not entirely sure. But the second he said it, I reached out to have a five private conversation. And this was the that was the result of it. We had this not so private conversation. And, you know, some things were resolved. I guess. You do shit. You do what you felt like was necessary. Yeah. Still think you were too nice to some extent, but hey, it is what it is. Hey, well, look, if you get in the ring with a jank, you can scream his head off, and we'll see how that goes. No, I'm not screaming. <laughs> no, it's not. I'm not saying I'm going to initially scream his head off. I'm like, I'm, we're going to entertain this for about thirty minutes, but then when you keep doing this clown shit, you're getting cussed out after thirty minutes. Like that's that's right. it. Well, that's certainly a strategy, and I completely respect people who want to employ that particular strategy. But that wasn't my, you know, that wasn't my chosen approach. And I think that keeping my cool actually. Um, you know, sometimes you have to just let people have enough rope to hang themselves. Or you, or you just add more rope and you finish it. Well, I, res- I respect, I respect your, your decision-making there. And I, I look forward to seeing how that plays out. If it's you or somebody else who was in that, you know, that circumstance with him again, um, you know, different strokes for different folks, but I appreciate you calling in Eric. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. Keep the faith. Hey, Bide. Long time. No chat. What's on your mind? Can you unmute yourself? Hey, can you can you hear me? I can hear you. What's on your mind this hey. evening? Yeah, long time. No chat. Um, first and foremost, what up, Chicago Red? What's happening, brother? <laughs> How you doing? We gonna link up for sure. Um, <laughs> second point, happy 27th birthday. Thank uh, you. You're doing great. Uh, you don't look a day over 26. Yeah, so you got that going for you. Uh, and then the other thing, yeah, before I forget, uh, I think you can enable chat. Uh, there's a function that if you click on the episode or click on like the edit episode within the call-in app. Um, I, edit episode doesn't come up until I close out the episode. I think, I don't know if it comes up when you close out the episode. There's like a, I think if you click on, uh, I forget where it is. It's either the more or if you click on the episode itself, or uh, oh, wait, wait, wait. the more at the bottom. Okay. Yeah. If you go to edit Did episode, it shouldn't it shouldn't end the episode unless they've updated the Did app or work? something. You go in there. Oh no, that didn't work. 
Did you hit it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, there it is, baby. Hell yeah. There's okay. the chat. What's up, chat? Excellent. What's up? There we go. You got I it? Like it turned off. I, I don't see. I don't, sometimes it, it when you start an episode, it just starts with uh, different default oh, settings. Like, you know, the one that says private or public room um, or the invite only stuff. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's just, I haven't found any consistency as to when that's actually clicked on and when it's clicked off. So, uh, I don't know. Or sometimes, like, I've accidentally clicked it to where I wasn't allowing people to call in and stuff like that. So, um, okay. there we go, though. We got the we got the chat going on, so that's good. Um, Thank you so much. Okay, so what's on your mind? Yeah. Uh, first, I, I love today's episode so much. Oh, good. Uh, I'm glad. David Sirota is a, is a treasure. And... I think so. so. I know rare. that you guys, you guys are so extra about David Sirota. Well, I, I mean, the I man don't is sensitive. Why. Can he live? <laughs> yeah, just let him live. Like, and and the thing that I really respect about David Sirota, which is so, I don't know, maybe it's just my, my own bias, but the, there are so many of these processes that are deliberately obtuse, so that our mm-hmm. politicians or people in power can sort of obfuscate uh, the truth of what they're actually doing, or. Uh, hide behind excuses that media reporters will just kind of report on uh, without actually digging into the details of whether or not this is actually uh, a true sort of barrier. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I thought that discussion about the Bernie's proposed amendment in the child tax credit was fascinating because mm-hmm. I know I know for a lot of, I don't know, I, I know that a lot of the times people just kind of it it doesn't change the fact like people come to the right conclusion about a lot of the inflation reduction reduction act sort of intuitively Mm -hmm. uh by saying oh it doesn't go far enough oh it's a half measure it uh it it ends up you know being a capitulation to uh you know a capitulation to hey what's up how you doing yeah i I gotta hit you up about uh barn sometimes yeah 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 i'm around here i'm around here all right peace Sorry, I just saw my saw my friend. Um, but uh, you know, I, I, a lot of people come to the right sort of uh, conclusions about a lot of these things. But there's something to knowing about how the processes work themselves, mm-hmm. to where you can sort of dismantle the argument for those people who uh, are more in I don't know, like the liberal sphere, who are still right. trying to paint this as a radical leftist. Oh, Bernie's trying to blow up the deal. He's not playing politics correctly. Like, or, there, yeah. there's, or it, people kind of like, yeah, mm-hmm. go ahead. Or people who say, you know, they just tried, they tried their best. This is all yes. they could do. They were up yes. against, you know, they didn't have the votes. Yes. Uh, I, I think, you know, it, it reminds me of kind of the Dobbs decision and sort of the, you know, people who will look at the Dobbs decision and say, well, you know, Alito is obviously just using an originalist interpretation for, coming down the way that he's come down, that it should be left up to the states. You know, abortion should be left up to the states. But that doesn't tell you that an originalist interpretation, if applied correctly for that decision, would mean that Alito wouldn't have that power of judicial review in the first place mm. to determine the constitutionality of something. Now, mm-hmm. it's a little like, it starts to get a little wonky at times, mm-hmm. but like, it's necessary, I think, th- there's a place for that for people, for convincing a, a section of the audience that has just sort of bought into these narratives. And, I, you know, I think I'd, I'd like to get your take on it because when people are, 
when you have the media not reporting on it, part of that I think is just sort of the the normal sort of manufactured consent of the media as you know they don't put people in these positions to report on this stuff who would actually know how to break through a lot of it. Uh, the same ways that like you don't get the same kind of playtime, or David Sirota doesn't get the same sort of invites to be on different programs or anything mm-hmm. because their messages are directly contrary to the powers that be. But I, I do think a lot of it too is like, you know, I didn't know that shit. You know, I, I don't know how the processes work with the parliamentarian. Right. I would know nothing and, without David and David Dan. And yeah. And, and, and yeah. I think the thing is when I, because there've been times where I've gone and tried to sort of learn this stuff and I don't even know where to go to start being educated on how some of these processes work. Mm-hmm. Because if I did, I feel like it would be a worthwhile, it would be worth my time enough to go into this and say, okay, bet, let me, let me try to figure it out. Let me try to explain this in a way and start writing articles about this to at least increase the amount of information that's out there, mm-hmm. you know, similar to what you're doing with your radars, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, uh, also girl, I don't know how you keep going into lion's dens and just coming out clean. Like, Every I don't I, I well, you have changed my entire perspective on communications degrees <laughs> for the rest of my life. Well, it's not always your like, ability look, to go you, into you just, these places and just communicate is nuts. Well, you heard how you know disappointed I was in my Charlie Kirk performance. I don't, you know, like I, I endeavored yeah, yes, yes. to keep a, a cool head in that performance, and it I did not work. I was triggered, <laughs> and like we got back I, to where I, we needed you, to you be. You did though. You you, you did. I, I think. I, I think you're too hard on yourself about that performance. As someone who gets hot-headed, for sure, myself, uh, you, I think it was the appropriate amount of pushback when it needed to be, honestly. And I think even if you go back and read, like, the comments and everything, not that, God, the amount of comments that you have to read <laughs> if you were doing that, I don't know how people even keep their sanity in that kind of world. It is, I do not envy you for that. But, like, people, I think people responded well to you in that. And that's the thing. Like, it's almost like a you know, uh, some kind of whisperer. I don't know what, there, there's a book or something, but something, it's a phrase. You all know. Like, a horse, like the horse whisperer. Yes, that's it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The elephant whisperer or whatever. Cause you're, you're, it's, I honestly don't know how you do it. I really do respect the fact that you do it. I do think. Um, I, I, it's, it's, I appreciate it's that. It's wild. My mom yeah. texted me after she watched it and she said, I, you know, I wish you could be keep that level of uh, patience with the family as you did with Jank Uger. <laughs> and I texted her back. <laughs> no, uh, no, it's too hard. <laughs> yeah, no, honestly. So to be clear, that is not how time. I walk around living my life. <laughs> oh, girl, I, I know. It is an exercise. I <laughs> yeah, I, I, I see it every time. I'm like, oh, I bet, like, if you were actually in an argument with her and you're in her circle, she's fucking going at you. Like, she will ruin the barbecue. Uh, <laughs> But like that's that makes it even more impressive, because in those situations where it's actively hostile, because look, Chank, like that was difficult to watch because it's almost like he wanted to have Jimmy Dore on trial or anything. The amount of like non sequiturs, the amount of like shit that he was trying to not even address sometimes what you were actually saying mm-hmm. or the words that were actually coming out of your mouth. That uh, like the whole time I was just hoping that there, there'd be like a judge or something there. <laughs> to like you know steer the witness back on track to be like all right well, please answer that, the question asked that's why my dream if i had my druthers almost every episode would be 
two people who disagree and I get to be a moderator. Cause my yeah. dream, cause most of the time I don't have, you know, I see parts of both sides point like a world where Jimmy yeah. and Jank were in the same space arguing. There would be many, many, many times when I'd have to rein in both of them all the yeah. time. And this, this is what's so funny. Remember, remember the episode with, um, uh, yep. I know Norman Finkelstein. Oh, no, yep. no. Does that, and oh, when, oh, when, okay, yeah. when I interviewed Norm Finkelstein on the show, we argued and I felt like he, he felt like I like really disagreed with his position, but when he right. came on Colin and other people were arguing with him, I was defending much of what he had said because you right. know what, what he didn't understand was I'm just, I'm, I'm mooting the bits that are weak. That doesn't mean yeah. I don't disagree, that I don't yeah. agree with you. And so yeah. when there was a third party who was basically yeah. doing that line of questioning, I saw where that line of questioning was also weak and pushed back right. against that as well and was defending that. And it's even the same with the, the Kim Iverson uh, Esperanza yes. interview. That's the one I was thinking of, right? Yeah. Like people yeah. are like, well, you agree with Kim and you were defending Kim. I was like, well, first of all, they were both saying things that are not the way I would have put it. Right. <laughs> you know, right. like, to the extent that I agreed with Kim's speech arguments, she was making her argument in a way that I would not have made it. But it was closer to my actual argument. And Esperanza was saying things that were true, but weren't necessarily engaging with the subject at hand. So, right. you know, I'm trying to just fill in the gaps to get it to where, like, the tension point that I, I had identified that caused me to want to do the episode is actually the center of focus. And we're trying to figure it out because I genuinely don't know how I feel about something. I'm just right. pressing. I don't have a, I don't always know. I'm just pressing on something to try to see if I can heighten the understanding. And so my dream is to have more shows like that or Nathan Robinson and Glenn Greenwald, you know, but it is frankly very rare that people, even very opinionated people who talk a big talk are willing to sit down and actually engage with the subject of their critique. Well, because, and uh, I don't want to get on my conspiracy train, but when you have an audience when you have money to be made from what you just say, when you've kind of like got a market or something for whatever, what is the incentive to get to truth? What is it? And that, that's, yeah. you know, that is something I've been impressed by. I mean, you know, I, I, it just sounds like I'm just talking you up a bunch, but like, you know, Jimmy Dore, I have my issues with Jimmy Dore because I do think he leaned in to some of that anti-vax stuff based on some shoddy evidence. You know, well, I, well, I have my we issues should, we with should, certain... Yeah, and we should oh, we should just talk about it. Like, that's the thing. Right. This is what that's was irritating thing. with me about Jenga. It's like, if you have a real critique of, let's say, the gray zone, maybe right. I don't know. Maybe I don't know where they're wrong because, as I've right. said a million right. times, I don't know jack shit about foreign policy. So right. when someone like Max Blumenthal, who whatever you want to think about him, is very informed, he knows yeah. a lot of stuff about history and geopolitics and stuff. You can't, you can't tell me he doesn't know stuff even if you think his take is bad. So when right. someone like that is talking to me and they seem very informed, I'm di I'm just taking it in. I'm just digesting. So if you have yeah. a specific critique, I would actually like to hear it because I don't know enough to push back. But they never want to actually push back. What I can't tolerate is, oh, Max Blumenthal is just an idiot. Oh, Max Blumenthal yeah, loves Putin and shit. wants to kiss him on the butthole. Right. Like, right. I, that yeah. is not right elevating the conversation. The <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like, it's not elevating the conversation. I'm learning and nothing also, from that. Yeah. yeah. It, it doesn't, even if, you know, he wanted to kiss him directly on the butthole, right? That doesn't change the truth <laughs> or fiction of what he's actually saying when he's saying stuff, right? That's what mm -hmm. gets me. It's like mm -hmm. people, like, and, and so much of that happens to you in particular, which always fucking blows 
my mind. I think, I don't know, because it's different for the people who like watch your shows and kind of hear your voice and who talk to you and stuff. And like, you reason stuff out, right? Like you're not, to call you bad faith is really, it's such a, it, it's, it's such a mischaracterization of how you actually comport yourself and how you, how you comport your politics that it's, you know, it's almost like people, it's clear at least most of the time to me that, oh, these people just don't fuck with you like that. They don't know how you were actually interacting with people because it's just, it's not, it's not a critique that could apply to you. You know what I'm saying? But what's, what's wild to me is that like people will be on Twitter doing the most bad faith shit towards you. And that's, you know, how, like that whole Marjorie Taylor Greene shit where you have like 500 <laughs> tweets of people saying exactly what the fuck you said in the radar. <laughs> it's like the it's first like, word how, of the radar too. <laughs> no, it's so, it's like so early. It's like, yo, bro, you only need a minute. Like just give, just click on the video for one minute. And then you have people like cutting off the sides of your tweet and just putting it back yeah. out there. And my thing is yeah. like, you, I, so I, I, I kind of disagree with uh, Eric on like going onto these shows because I feel like every time you've gone on to one of these shows, you've come out on top. Now I worry about your mental health and like your fortitude <laughs> over time because that is fucking crazy. But like, like I would go crazy, but like you've come out on top, but this Twitter stuff, like sometimes do you even feel like it's worth it to like be battling these people on Twitter while it's happening? Because when that's happening too, I know your capacity, like your mental capacity can't be like, like you don't even smoke weed. Yeah. Okay. Chamomile. Okay. There you go. Some chamomile beer that will work. Look, but, I'll tell you this. Yesterday, what's it? What did all that, that happen yesterday? No, it came out Monday, right? Uh huh. So, you know, first of all, I mean, look, I'm not gonna lie. When when I when I'm being positively received, it feels nice. <laughs> so it's not sure. as big of a problem. Um, sure. With respect to some of the radar stuff and the mischaracterizations, I've learned over time. I used to be much more like glued to my phone, but now I dip in and out. And I do okay. look, it's also a bit of a game, right? Like I, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. frustrated when I see a ratio that I think is not great. It's frustrating when I see, you know, like I said, I have a particular bugaboo about a couple of people on the left who just really get under my skin because I think they're cruel and untalented people who I wish would go away mm -hmm. forever. But generally speaking, I, um, you know, it's good. It's engagement is good. You know, you know, Jimmy Dore's trending right now, and I'm sure he doesn't mind. Because at the end of the day, if it's getting people to actually watch the clip that I worked hard on, watch the radar that I worked hard on, or watch the debate, yeah. then it's, a, it's I have to keep the perspective that it's a win. And that I, yes, yeah. I labeled the radar in a triggering way because I wanted people to click on it and I wanted people to be mad. And I, I can't really be mad at that, even if I think the individuals who should know better should act better. Yeah. You know, you know people I actually know. But on the whole, it's fine. And I'm fine. And I, But I really do appreciate your um, your supportive your supportive statements. And I, and I hope if anyone has friends of people who are kind of like on the other side, I hope we can have some more of these conversations that are restorative. Yeah. I, because I, I think they're interesting I think, and I yeah. like playing something out to its end. They're interesting and they're going to be necessary. Like, the, the, and this will be the last thing I say, but like, I like I'm when you're on the left, when the conglomeration or you know there's certain power structures that exist within the world within capitalism that 
they don't need everyone to like them because they have money and power and the ability to just push it through. That's one of the, you know, the sort of worst outcomes of capitalism is that the haves have more and more and more, and they're able to uh, sort of, uh, uh, you know, like enact their will on people, regardless of democracy, regardless of the popularity of the shit they're enacting, just to sort of build their own base of power. And that's how we're at where we're at now, right? That's how you get these oil fucking subsidies or whatever is in this IRA mm-hmm. act. Uh, but, but the kicker is that on the left, we, we depend, or any sort of anti-capitalist movement is going to have to depend on mass action, on mass movement, which means we do not have a choice but to build consensus to some extent or another. Mm-hmm. There is no other way. We need numbers. So like this, all this stuff, because I hear a lot of people sometimes and I get it, like just being like, yo, fuck him, fuck them, whatever, woo, woo, woo. And it's like, look, I get you. Like, that's what I feel. But the the reality is there's no movement without bringing people in. There can't yeah. be. We actually, that is the only thing that gives us power is yeah. building mass movements. And, and to do that, there's got to be a little bit of finesse. You got to yeah. have a little game to your, to your, to the way you play. And yeah. I think that is, you know, that's why I'm interested in like, I would love to know more about how David Sirota learned all the shit that he did, because I would love to just start writing about Mm -hmm. little processes like that, because in the way that right now on the Hill, you're kind of like the center right populist whisperer in a way. (laughs) I'm trying to do that with liberals. I'm trying to do that with enough of them. And I don't know if that's possible. I really don't know if it's possible. They're even a tougher nut to crack. They're tough. They're tough. But like the game, I mean, they can see in some ways it's it's impossible for people at this point who aren't actively sort of deluding themselves did you guys hear that we're in a bad place did you guys see did you listen to that episode i think it was uh, yesterday day before yesterday on rising we had a panel on uh what's going on with like black voters and we had a liberal black voter and we had a conservative a, a black uh, what do you call it? Correspondent pundit or whatever. Yeah. And the yeah. conservative one, uh, Maliki comes on a lot. And it, it actually, I think it was like the second best performing video of yesterday because the liberal guy, God bless him. You know, I'm not trying to come for anybody in particular, but he opens with a salvo about all the things that Biden is doing. Wait, wait you got to hear those. Wait a minute. Let's see if I can find Yeah, find that. Oh, and founding partner of Hit Strategy. We've conducted over 300 focus okay. groups and about 30,000 interviews this with is black voters guy. since the 2020 election. And we're hearing very, very similar concerns. Black voters are acutely aware of the role that they play delivering this president to the White House and delivering Democrats uh, control over both chambers. And that awareness comes with expectation. That awareness comes with the, with the expectation that Democrats will reduce the economic and social pains that black communities are <laughs> facing. And frankly, I believe that this administration has a messaging problem more than a governing problem, because when we look at the economic priorities of the black community, (laughs) this administration has, in fact, made significant progress on things like uh, like the child tax credit that reduced black child poverty by 20 percent, raising federal minimum wage to fifteen dollars. There's a half a million black federal employees whose minimum wage went up to fifteen dollars. And so progress is happening. It is not enough. There is still significant pain in the black community, but it is incumbent on this administration over the next 80 days to tell black voters how they have made their lives materially better. Wait for it. Well, I, I want to stick with you with that for a second, Terrence, because, you know, you mentioned the t- child tax credit. 
Democrats bragged about it having uh, child poverty. Then it, it expired, and it, they weren't able to get a continuation of the child tax credit in this latest uh, uh, Inflation Reduction Act bill. Uh, you mentioned the federal $15 minimum wage. I applaud that effort, but the national $15 minimum wage was a core part of Biden's own agenda. It was a promise that he made to Bernie Sanders when Bernie Sanders uh, dropped out of the race without much of a fight. And, you know, that obviously has not come to fruition. And there are issues that disproportionately affect uh, black people that are also core to Biden's campaign promises, including the stimulus checks that are still front of mind for a lot of people, which never came through in their entirety, and this big promise to cancel student loan debt. Specifically, Biden said, and people have memory hold this, that he would cancel all student loan debt for graduates of historically black colleges and universities making under $125,000 a year. He's not done that or followed through on his promise to do a blanket $10,000 at least of cancellation for everyone across the board. Get so him. staring down the barrel of those kinds of concerns and the, that, that framing that shows that Biden seems to have reneged on many of these promises. You know, how do you see that playing out with voters in midterms? Yes, you know, I think that black voters <laughs> have unfinished business in 2022. That's... There wasn't an answer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I mean, as soon as he said focus group, I was like, oh, shit, here we go. You know, like, it's like, it's like, go outside, dog. Like, that's, uh, there's such a detachment between the people who are actually in office and the people who they purport to represent that, like, because you could, you could probably pick just about anyone off the fucking street, for real, and put them in, and they would be more, in a lot of ways, more in touch with the actual needs and concerns that people actually have, that actual people have. And the things that are actually important to them, right? Like, and that's, uh, like, to, to say the Inflation Reduction Act as, like, a victory, that's, 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 I think you and David were talking about a little bit, too. Like, the, the need to sort of act like some things are victories, you know? When it's mm -hmm. really, when really, once you start digging into what they've actually done, it's, it's almost as if, like, do they care about the actual effect of the policies themselves? Like, are they actually... It's because, like, if not, then it's a bunch of people who are just constantly giving themselves participation trophies about and then talking about how the problem with our country is we gave out too many participation trophies or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. Talking about how um, all these ills of society that suddenly they have no ability to actually correct. Mm -hmm. But when they actually have the ability to correct those things, they're not taking those chances. So, I mean, like, who would quote the Inflation Reduction Act right there? Like, he has to know. That is his job. That, I thought that was very what? bold. I thought when he, when he opened with the child tax credit, knowing oh, there was no child, child tax credit, I was like, that is bold, yeah, sir. Yeah, no, you And then, then later on, there was a colloquy where he he's talking about, he, I think when he responds to me, he says something like, well, we have had the student debt moratorium, which is like such a wonderful thing and a boon. And I was like, sir, that was Trump's moratorium and Biden's about yeah. to cancel it at the yes, end of the month. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Like, I, 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 what are they doing? Like, what, what, when did the game, oh God, we are really in a bad fucking place. Because if we're in a place where the game is so like a bunch of people all just trying to spin things as best as they can to keep the ship just moving along at the pace that it's going, knowing that that ship is clearly heading off the edge of the world and the world is now flat, you know, like we're like, what are it's, it's because it is great. It is kind of like, don't look up. I hate to, you know, bring, bring that up. But it's, don't it's, look up. We look, we don't have time people. We don't have the time or the luxury to be fucking around. 
What are we doing? We and, and to be sitting people, there saying you're advocating for black people, like def, that defending on, black. Y'all. If you cared about black people, I'm sorry. If you care about black people and your claws aren't out ready to attack Joe Biden, Tell you're him. not you're not doing shit. Tell <laughs> you are not my friend. Tell Tell yeah. Him. Well, look, Biden, but, I'm, I'm going to have to press yeah, on. But I always I've appreciate you long. Yeah. calling in. Yeah. Again, happy birthday. And thanks for having me. It's a. Uh, and I'm glad the chat's back. I can't wait to. Thank you so much for that. that Everybody yeah, give sure. Biden a big round of applause for getting us our chat back. <laughs> yes. Oh, I yes, everyone love me. Love me, I've please. Got, okay. I've, got, I've got a button for that. Wait a minute. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. There it is. All right. Okay. Thanks, uh, Biden. Nice. All right. Take <laughs> Keep the faith. Yeah, you too. All right, Jonathan, unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind. You with us, Jonathan? Can you unmute yourself? Yes. There you go. Yeah, I'm here. Okay, I'm going to have to walk a tightrope here because that was my libertarian nerve that was tickled by this IRA thing. Okay, tell us about it. Well, last time I mentioned something about FDR's method of problem solving, and we were like, we've got an app for that. You know, we've got a federal agency for this, for that, for everything, mm-hmm. which is a big expansion of government. Mm-hmm. But remembering the Magna Carta, you know, even though it was a bunch of rich white landlords that were forcing King John to sign that thing, that's it. If you accept that everything's a left of monarchy, it's a left word move because it was a decentralization of power. So when, you know, Eric, uh, and I understand his emotions, but when you open the call saying, oh, capitalism doing capitalism things, I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, was it the free market that just handed out a bunch of free money to oil drillers? Mm. Was it the free market that just handed a bunch of money to EV manufacturers? The ecological cost of manufacturing any new vehicles is extremely high from the mining of the new metals, the cadmium and third world countries to the precarious nature of recycling lithium that point alone makes it so that the best thing you can do ecologically from a transportation point of view is keep your 2011 civic going for as long as you possibly can until it falls apart underneath you like Mm -hmm. stop consuming but that's never the message is it the is it the free market that subsidizes all the corn in my state turning it into a monoculture hell that feeds all these cows which doesn't have nothing to do with the fact that we're the country that where the poor people are the fattest ones because they eat their hamburger, corn-fed hamburger, an hour later they're hungry again because it doesn't have any of the essential fatty acids in there? Mm-hmm. Is it the free market that drives up the tuition? Because they, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac would not be able to keep creating credit if the government didn't buy their worthless like student loans, which are being defaulted upon, right? Yeah. So I, I get that I get that the free market is like a giant Great Dane puppy that destroys everything in the house. But you're blaming the dog for eating your homework when that's not what happened. Well, what do you make about the argument? Because Robbie and I have been having this conversation a little bit, including off camera, but also on camera. Like, right, we had that argument with uh, the young woman who came on our show. She now writes for Reason um, to talk about her viral piece about self censorship in college at UVA. Remember that. Um, and we were talking about student debt, and I got frustrated with both of them because, speaking of me losing my cool and not keeping it chill all the time, um, because they were saying things like true things, like we wouldn't have this debt crisis without this federally backed debt. But also they attribute, you know, their their solution for that is, oh, well, you guys are all just stupid to take out debt and you just have to deal with it. And also people shouldn't even go to college and everyone would be fine if they just got a high school degree. And it's like, okay, well, she, she was coming out to talk about the fact that there were, um, there's a, has been a decline in college enrollment, much of which frankly can be attributed to COVID. Uh, but it's, it's not just COVID, right? It's that 
people don't want to pay all of that money for remote learning. So the remoteness of it has really put a fine point on how bloated the cost of colleges are. So they kind of have this kind of Batya Unger Sargon approach where it's like, college is elite. You shouldn't have to do an elite thing. The people who tell you to go to college are just elitist. So screw college. Whereas I would say, uh, if you go to college, like it or not, you get uh, 30%, you know, $30,000 more a year uh, in income, even if jobs are still low paying, generally speaking, sitting, sitting around telling people not to go to college when you're enjoying the benefits of a college education is a kind of elitist thing to do. And what we well, should I have, have a college is free education and doesn't benefit me very much. And I have literally 20 nieces and nephews and I told every single one of them not to go. Because it's okay. not a sound financial investment anymore. Right, but I would argue that the problem is the cost of co- the problem is the cost of college, not an education, and that other no, countries it, it aren't sitting the around. Time. It just wasn't worth the money. Right, so that's the problem. Let's deal with the issue. So if I could just finish this point, what I was saying to them is that we need to focus on free public education and getting rid of. Yes, I completely agree with you about the problem, but not the solution. Their solution was throwing things to the free market. So we keep getting into this place on the show where. They have people have identified the issue that these these the government has captured, um, people have been bought off, lobbyists have done their thing, and there are bad outcomes like you described with the corn industry or fossil fuel giveaways and all these other kinds of things. But I attribute the the problem to the government capture. Obviously, seeing that the alternative of private enterprise isn't going to be good enough, and I think that you're right. Was it you that that brought up? Was it Ingalls or somebody who had written about? How their Ingles ideal said form that of... the, the, the government must not exist because it will invariably become the cudgel of the powerful few against the disenfranchised. Right. Women. So as Robbie and I keep going and going around where we will agree that there's an issue with the government, but have very, these very different solutions. And I am I'm happy to acknowledge that there's always going to be this tug of war as people try to capture the government. And you're only going to be so able to keep the government from those kinds of negative influences that we need to be having a more robust conversation about what a different form of government is or a different form of organizing our society is. That doesn't mean small government equals just uh, a libertarian hellscape where the person who gets the biggest gun can keep the castle. You know, I, I agree with that, but yeah. where the government does belong is basically where the free market is failing and where the free market is failing is where things are being monopolized, rent extracted and, yeah, basically, those are two ways. Of, those are two different ways of saying the same thing. I think it was Adam Smith who said, "Quote: uh, Rent is naturally a monopoly price, but you're by definition letting out the excess. Like you have more than you can personally put use to, mm-hmm. and you're letting out the excess. It might be a very small monopoly if you just have your house and the one next to it, but you are creating scarcity. You're price fixing. So mm-hmm. you know what I'm seeing here is we have so one price fixing is one reason to publicize something, and the other reason is it created with public money. Like I'm talking on a smartphone right now, but we still pay Bill Gates rent for the use of all the public infrastructure that connects this to the internet. But I don't have no reason for the communist mode of production for smartphones or bicycles or car stereos or dog food. But I don't want to pay rent for their use of them. So I want capitalism for the smartphone, communism for the service, capitalism for the automobile, communism for the gas. Why don't capitalism you want capitalism for your health provider, you... but communism for the insurance? You get the trend? No, because I don't understand why I wouldn't want communism or worker owned um, worker ownership for the manufacture of the smartphone as well. There are things the government's good at and the things it's not good at and what it's well what, the worker ownership really isn't the government 
You, well, you oh, you want worker? Oh, yeah. So yeah, mm -hmm. there's 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 sole proprietorship, there's worker ownership, and state ownership. We got to be like careful to distinguish between them. I'm for my purposes, just going forward, so I'm clear. Mm -hmm. When I say communism, I mean state ownership, and when I say socialism, I mean worker ownership because that's what Yannis Varoufakis okay. calls socialism. So that's just to be clear. When I say so, but I haven't mentioned socialism yet. That's kind of a side issue. I want full communism of the necessities for life, which are being monopolized. If you can't live and work without a smartphone and a car, then the government needs to compete directly with the monopolists or completely well, publicize People have very the different service. feelings about whether or not a smartphone is considered to be a necessity. I was yeah, talking to fair, someone who's a, a very thing. I mean, I don't agree but, with that. I think it is a necessity, but, but I was a, talking to someone very good faith the other day who's a, a lovely person who made this weird side jab about how, well, people could have X, Y, and Z if they stop buying a new cell phone every month. And I was like, first of all, the X, Y, and first Z all, don't you don't mind. describe is way more expensive than a new smartphone. And people are not buying a new smartphone every month. They if think poor people are someone... out there buying smartphones every day. Right. It's, just it's ridiculous. True. It's so but you can silly. see the difference between the phone in your hand and the monthly bill you get for the services, yeah, which is like rent, for sure. right? For sure. Like, so there's Karl Marx is concerned with the money that never makes it into your bank account because it's like you're renting uh, a livelihood and you're, what you're paying for that livelihood is the surplus value of your labor. And that's all I can grant that point. But I'm way more concerned with the money that bounces out on day two to my cell phone bill, to my insurance to my landlord. I mean, it might not literally bounce out on day two if I'm paying price fixed gas prices. It might be day 15, I fill up the tank, but that's all rent too. Every single thing about monopoly pricing power is rent. Interest is rent. Taxes are rent. It's all a fee you pay for the temporary use of something. Everything's rent. That's mm -hmm. what you need to apply your government to, but it doesn't have to be a big bureaucracy. It's just check writing. That's all the government's good for. And when you think about it, that's all the government does is write checks and people do the things. So insurance, that's just check writing. You could, anything that's an insurance that you're required to have should be provided by the government up to it. That's a reasonable point, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's as simple as that. Necessity. It's not about what, who's rich. It's about what's necessary to live and work in this country. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that is Sorry, kind of the notion of a fundamental human right, and it's interesting the way that you're framing that. Um, yeah, I, look, I appreciate I appreciate you as always, Jonathan. What was it again? Was there a particular Ingalls work that I should read? I meant to write it down last time. Well, I think that was for this, what I'm what I'm died. coming from right now is more uh, Jean. Oh no, what's his name? Pierre Joseph Proudhon and uh, Henry George. They well, Proudhon wrote a book called What Is Property, and Henry George wrote a book called progress and poverty and they are the ones who really cite rentierism proprietorship and rent ex, you know rent extraction and create manufacturing scarcity as a much bigger you know marx is just one tier of a very tall price fixing pagoda like i don't have no reason to be a marx denier but he's should not be the beginning and the end of leftism Okay. Well, but I haven't read him either, so right I, I appreciate the recommendation, Jonathan. So just for the theory nerds out there, it's Proudhon <laughs> and Henry George. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Keep the faith. Um, hey, you're up next. Unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind. Hello? Hello? Hey, A. Can you hear me? I can hear you. What's on your mind? Oh, you're calling in from India, oh, right? Oh, man, I don't know if I can follow 
Yes. Good morning I, from India. What time is it exactly? <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> how are you doing? I mean, how do I follow Jonathan's sultry tones, man? <laughs> <laughs> Your tones aren't so bad yourself. <laughs> well, I have called about the debate with Cenk. Is that how you pronounce his name? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know you're tired of mm-hmm. Are you tired of hearing about it? It's the week off, so I suppose we are allowed it, right? <laughs> yes, it hasn't even been a full week since we recorded it, so you're allowed. All right, all right, good. Because, I mean, you know, I follow sort of American leftist content and, you know, an internationalist spirit, so to speak. And, um, I mean, it helps. It's so, it's so well produced, unlike the janky stuff we get over here. Mm-hmm. But, in, you know, the contents of this debate, I mean, you know, lots of the specifics, I mean, I wasn't aware of because, I mean, it got into the nitty gritty of whatever infighting is going on. So I had the pleasure of letting it wash over me as this wonderful, <laughs> wonderful, uh, you know, uh, wrestling match. Uh, and um, man, oh man, you, you made quick work of that guy. I, it, it's crazy. I don't think I've ever actually seen someone literally huffing and puffing, like actually that happening. <laughs> uh, and I know, I mean, I know. You guys are all trying <laughs> to get me in trouble. I, you know, mm-hmm, I hear you. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> I, I hear you all. <laughs> okay. I mean, I know, I know that you do not want to be, uh, you know, want to clip out there if you, uh, you know, gloating or crowing about this. Mm-hmm. But please tell me that in your private life you are. <laughs> I can't tell you anything about anything, A. But I, I will say that I really appreciate the public support. It has been gratifying, and it's been a good week. Oh, man. Has, has it done good for the numbers? I mean, since, you know, you've reached out the TIT audience and so on. No, I, I mean, in, in terms of, like, subscribers or something, I don't think I've really checked specifically, but I don't think so. And honestly, what's so funny is that as much attention as it feels like it got on online – and as many people who have said they've watched it, the video itself doesn't even have that many views. Oh, okay. You know, it's like last time I checked, it was like maybe 30,000-ish views. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, you know, like your average, you know, Kim Radar did 100,000, you know, every every other day. So it's, it's you know, we all have to keep things in perspective. We're all in our little tiny <laughs> worlds. But no, I obviously, you know, like, to be honest, like I kind of wanted to have the debate on bad faith. I, I, I invited him on bad faith. You know, our I feel like our channel hasn't grown at all. It's stymied. I can't, you know, hundreds of people followed me over this. And my mm-hmm. Twitter ticker didn't go up a single person. I, I oh, cannot. Wow. I, am, I am physically unable to get more than 350,000 followers. Like hundreds of people. I got alerts all day about new follows. Hundreds of people didn't change the the sum at all. Oh, man. So, you know, I don't even look at those kinds of things anymore. I'm very grateful for the Patreon community that Mm -hmm. isn't subject to those kinds of whims, (laughs) you know, suppression and views and all that stuff. And I just mind my own business. (laughs) So I had a question, uh, which is so for, for, you know, for uh, when you're going in for a, I mean, unlike an interview, mm-hmm. when you're going in for a debate or a discussion, which where there's potential for it being adversarial, etc. I mean, what's the kind of prep you do? I mean, because I mean, it, I know you're tired of compliments. It was such a masterclass of, you know, keeping your cool and so on. In fact, I mean, just a couple of things that I was most taken with, because that's what I struggle with whenever I get into an argument with someone who might think differently, is uh, that one, I mean, 
while you were you know uh, while you were emphasizing that uh, it would be most productive to keep the discussion about the two of you and not these other people that you can't speak for mm-hmm. uh, you still made it a point to uh, uh, you know push back against any sort of bad faith attacks or mischaracterizations he was doing making of them uh, even i mean even though you weren't you know so i mean i like that kind of it's so easy to just let go of you know other people's battles in order to sort of proceed with the conversation so i was very impressed with that and the second bit was specifically the moment where you spoke about you know i don't know i don't know why you're making me answer for these men i mean it feels like i mean cuz you know especially in sort of a leftist setting invoke i mean th- this was obviously a sort it was an allusion i guess to your identity as a woman but invoking identity is you know can get tricky as and i mean <laughs> notice that huh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i did notice it so i was very i was so impressed because it was like it was like guns blazing right there was no front on which you would back down so i just was wanted to know how you kind of prep for this kind of thing well look i've been arguing about force the vote for a year and a half now so this one i felt pretty confident about here here's the problem and this this came up with uh the sam cedar interview about force of vote as well when people disagree with me publicly and they're they're like saying your idea is wrong and i don't think your take is good i i have intellectual curiosity and i'm curious about why they think i'm wrong so Ooh. i listen to their arguments and i follow up on things and i ask Ooh. people questions who know more than I do. So even in the context of force the vote where I was not on the same side of things as like um, Ryan Grimm, or even in the very beginning, we weren't entirely, I was not entirely on the same page as David Sirota. I asked David Sirota specific questions. Is this true? Is this true? When I was getting pushback, I didn't know all the answers. And then hmm. even people who weren't necessarily on board with me, but you know, were good faith actors truthfully answered, well, no, Kevin McCarthy wouldn't be speaker of the house. And, hmm. you know, no, and, and so I had, you know, I didn't presume I was right. And Jank was wrong, for instance, when this all started or Sam was wrong. I, I, I just asked, I tried to figure it out. <laughs> so by the time it came to the debate, I had already gone through all of their arguments and figured out why I, in fact, believed what I believed was cur- the, the ver- better version of events. They did not, handle me with the same yeah. amount of respect. They, when I debated Sam Cedar, he, afterward, he had said something like, this wasn't fair. She's a Harvard lawyer. Da, 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 da. I was like, first of all, these are all things you knew going into the debate. But also <laughs> I wrote an entire article like two months before I ever sat down with Sam Cedar. And I outlined point by point, my entire ar- argument for force the vote. If you wanted mm-hmm. to know what I was going to say in that debate, there was a study guide right there at currentaffairs.com. And they didn't bother to look. I'd been tweeting about it. The whole left had been fighting about it. I had been on Katie's show. I'd been on Jimmy's show once. We had the force the vote town the hall. I had a debate with Ben Burgess and uh, what's her face? I can't remember. I'm blocking her name on, on Katie's show. Like I had talked it to death already. And I knew all of their talking points because I actually engaged with them. And they never engaged back. So when, when Jank says to me, no one ever has an answer of what to do after you withhold the vote. You know, my head kind of a little bit wants to spin around on my vertebrae because it's like, of course, we've, we've talked this through a million and one times. And it's actually rather revealing that you haven't even bothered to listen. It's, it makes me kind of sad that you haven't even bothered to listen. And frankly, as an individual, it feels kind of disrespectful. Yeah. Go ahead. So it's less. 
I mean, uh, you haven't told me about your prep, but it's you've talked. Uh, it's less about your dad. Than well, I didn't have prepping. to prep. Sorry, the short yeah. answer is I, I didn't have to prep because we this this kind of a thing. No, no, no. Yeah. Like with Charlie Kirk, <laughs> I remember being upset because I would have liked to have prepped more. I would have liked to have listened to more of his interviews on the subject in particular and have more because i'm not like a historian right so Mm -hmm. he wants to talk about like is racism real and like is structural racism real i'm not like an afam studies major i'm not a sociologist i'm not a historian Mm -hmm. like i'm not going to be able to recall specific facts about the civil rights act off my head like i'm not that person so i have to study a little bit for that i have to you know he he made arguments like America was the first country to end slavery, which I know is not true. <laughs> but like in the moment, I'm like, oh, I, I need to have on hand, like, okay, Haiti did it in this year, and Europe outlawed various European countries outlawed it in this year, and this year, and this year. And like that would have been more helpful to have. And I remember wishing that I had more of those facts on hand. The same way that, when, by the way, when I spoke to Andrew Sullivan, I had done much more prep and I knew hmm. where he was going. And I made a strategic choice in that interview, for instance, to not mention race (laughs) i said he's gonna have to argue like he's a gay man i'm gonna use that right he's gonna Hmm. have to if we're gonna argue about structural what structural anything is structural prejudice structural bias we're gonna talk about gay people we are not gonna talk about black people because he had demonstrated a complete and total absence of sympathy or acknowledgement of racism basically at any point in american Hmm. history (laughs) But I knew that he he would say, okay, obviously slavery is bad. People can't get around that one. And so Hmm. I would say to him, I said to him things like, okay, you know, how do you feel about, you know, let's let's talk about white, you know, how only white landowning men could uh, own property back in the day. Or let's talk about, like, how did you feel about, you know, were black people equal a day after slavery ended? No. Okay. And so we can reason from those kind of points. But I knew better better than to try to to make some argument with him about racism in the workplace or how if you have a black sounding name on a resume you're you are as likely to be hired as someone who didn't go to college and like all of that those stats i knew he was going to be unsympathetic too so so yes prep is good and i Mm -hmm. highly recommend listening to other what other people have said because people are very open about their views yeah which is what cheng didn't bother to do with you know because if he'd known what you were gonna say it would it might have gone differently for him yeah i so one last question which mm-hmm. is that i mean i i understand the spirit of this discussion was you know restorative um and also personal because they've been so you know they've done so many personal attacks on you but um do you like in uh do you sincerely believe because i saw i mean there was like the fundamental uh, difference in approach where you're you know you're willing to rightly be more adversarial about how like in terms of how the, uh, the left should proceed in america um um with versus the establishment and he seems i mean his focus it seemed to me was that the adversarial spirit should be reserved only for the right wing and not for uh, you know the corporate dems and so on i mean that seems like such a fundamentally different approach so do you think like that that is uh, i mean is there any meeting ground there so he said he agreed with me about adversarial politics and he gave an example of what he felt was him being quite hard on the squad and you know the elected leftists to try mm-hmm. to get them to force the vote on a on an issue you know, I have. I don't want to. I don't have any need to take anything from that. But I would argue that's a little bit different than than what we were talking about, um, yeah. because you know, I felt like the the anecdote that he described was intervening when it was already too late. 
um, and not wanting to, you know, the fact that they were willing to do it, I think is evidence of the fact that that was not really the high stakes moment. That was more the performative moment where you can vote for something and posture for something because it doesn't actually have the opportunity to gum up the works. He wasn't advocating for them to, you know, kill the bill. He was advocating for them to, you know, you know, support these amendments to get back in and, and mm-hmm. you know, like for, for Bernie to posture and do all of that stuff around the, around the amendments around $15 mm-hmm. minimum wage. And that's, not, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but when the, when it counted, the reason there was so much tension around force the vote and Sam Cedar admitted this in our interview was that he supported it. And then someone from some squad member's office called him and told him to stop. Hmm. And I don't want to cast aspersions and I don't really know. I can't, I can't know. Like this was about, this interview was about Chank proving, you know, making his case for why I'm a fake leftist. It wasn't about me asking him why he's aired in my view. So I didn't get into hmm. this kind of a thing with him. Um, but I, you know, I won't take, I won't talk about Chank. I'll talk generally speaking, generally speaking, it is hard for people to be as hard on the people they need to be hard on when they know them and like them. That is not like a a personal insult. That is not like, that's just human nature. Okay. And I do think that some of these folks have a closer relationship to squad members, et cetera, Mm -hmm. than I do. And therefore Mm. just interpreted adversarialness, which they say they like, they, Mm -hmm. they interpreted it as like literal violence (laughs) because they happen Mm -hmm. to like those people. And the same people who'd be like, Oh, go go press protest outside of Kavanaugh's office. will say, don't protest outside of AOC's office. Now Mm -hmm. I like AOC. I don't want any, I mean, you know what I mean? Like she's a human being. I don't want anything bad to happen to her. I'm also not rooting Mm -hmm. for Kavanaugh to be shot or hurt in any way. I'm not a monster, but Mm -hmm. I, I, I understand. Like I get a little more uncomfortable. The idea of people, knowing where AOC lives versus Kavanaugh because she's a woman. She is subject to a large number of attacks and stuff. And like, I get feeling uncomfortable, but you have to have a consistent stance here. You have to, you cannot think of her as your friend. And I think some of these folks are just a little too close to it. And and look, I get it. There are people who I probably hesitate to criticize because I have a personal relationship with them and I'm sensitive to that. Mm -hmm. And that is what it is. You, You just, I would rather just be honest about it than to, you know, pretend like I'm, I'm not going to do any like takedown videos of Nina Turner probably anytime soon. I would love to have Mm -hmm. her on on the show and talk to her personally about some of my frustrations with some of her positions and approaches, but like, I'm never going to be like, Oh, I'm just not. And don't expect that Hmm. from me. But like that, it starts to show, you know, it it affects your reporting. It affects your coverage and I would argue, like, it's not, it's just not okay to be so close to all of these squad members that you aren't willing to say that the the only people we have who could possibly advocate for us aren't doing their job. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Well, I will, I will uh, not take more of your time. I just want to quickly shout out Brian, who I see is one of the listeners. I still use his Patreon account because in India it's not possible otherwise. So thank mm. you, Brian. Oh, shout out and, to Brian. Uh, yeah, keep the faith. <laughs> keep the faith. <laughs> <laughs> bye bye. Bye bye. All right, Anthony, what's on your mind? Anthony, can you unmute yourself? Oh, sorry. It took a minute. They added all these crazy buttons to uh to the app, you know. So I'm hearing. But... Hello. Yeah, what's on your mind tonight? Oh, okay. Well, it's funny you said protest in the squad. I got kicked out of a rally with all four of them a couple of weeks ago. 
I've protested. What did you do, Anthony? (laughs) Oh, they are the worst, the worst uh, scamming liars. At least, you know, like we, this is the age old thing. You know, the Republicans are, they're not lying to you. They just want to like take your money and run. But Mm -hmm. these people are scammers. Now they had a, uh, they called it squad victory fund and they did it in a, I don't know, a couple of the different cities with a rotating cast in uh, Minnesota and here in Detroit and Boston or wherever, I think. But mm-hmm. uh, this one was the you know, cast of four. And I just outbursted. I said, uh, stop funding the Ukraine war and say no to NATO. And as, uh, that was, it. It was pretty basic. Oh, definitely. Well, I, I was pretty, I was outbursting nonstop. I was well, really which, interrupting, um, no doubt about it. Which, which squad members were there? The four original 2018, the ones that are getting their pensions if they if they make it this year, which did. Is that when is that what happens? You get your pension after what five years? For for the just two, the two terms, four years. Sorry, you uh, cut out a little. Yeah, bit. five years. So yeah, five years. Yeah, five years. <laughs> so they're getting okay. their pension, yeah. but that's not the point I called. I mean. I, I was listening to the Sirota clip and, uh, you know, he says expanding renewable energy, expanding. That's a diff. That's a pretty vague term. Wouldn't you say like expanding? Because we know what that is. That tax credits and subsidies for corporations. And, uh, I don't agree with that at all. I don't, I mean, of course we need to make things in America, but, I'm not, I don't think the good of whatever will happen with that is worth voting for it because they're just going to take the money and run. Yeah. I mean, I guess this was, um, what was it? Jonathan's point about wanting some of the stuff to be, um, commun, you know, communist, you know, so government owned, um, or, you know, I guess he said specifically communism and I, I, I get it. I, we obviously have had episodes about state ownership and it does seem to me that these are areas where that would be advantageous because we're leaking all of this extra money, having to subsidize everything all the time. But it doesn't seem like my, my honest belief is that we will have climate, you know, an actual switch off into clean energy only when the market demands it. We're not going to have it based on any kind of like science dictated timeline it's going to be – the story keeps keeps popping up in my mind about how Biden was trying to get one of these refineries to open back up that had closed during COVID so it could process fuel and bring gas prices down. And they didn't want to do it because the amount of money it would take to start back up, they would only be profitable after like 20 years of running again. And their estimation was that it wasn't going to – we weren't going to be – in a, you know, we would have transitioned enough off of that, the kind of oil they were using that it, they, they didn't have a 20 year profit horizon. So that, you know, so great, great news, kind of like the, the thing isn't going to start back up, but it's not because of any environmental thing. Biden's actively trying to get it to start back up. It's just because they don't see it, you know, as profitable enough. And that's going to start happening more and more, I think, over time. And you're seeing like these huge investments in clean energy, and it's going to be profitable for these other countries to have clean energy. The markets are going to dictate it. And so it will exist. And there will be terrible downstream effects as someone else was pointing out about all of the materials we have to harvest to make all of these gadgets that are cleaner. And that's, that's going to be a fight. That's going to be another, a whole other fight. But a part of me is just like, 
you look at how this plays out and you have to shrug your shoulders. I, don't, I mean, I don't know, man. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying, but I think that David's wrote is a little bit in a, in a, in a different, in a different mind frame. Yeah. That's why I think he's full of baloney. I mean, I don't think he's as smart as half the people make him out to be. I mean, you watch C-SPAN for three days in a row and read a couple of things and you know what's going on with the procedure and read, you know, like, I don't, I don't know why people think David sort is this guru. He, you know, that whole APAC thing. I get it. I get it. You know, you guys work together on Bernie. That's fine. I'm not here to talk, you know, BS about him, but it's almost like, and even the whole argument about, oh, the blaming the parliamentarian, I can't take that seriously either because the parliamentarian's doing their job. They're just an administrative person. They're enforcing, or not even enforcing, they're giving an opinion on the rules that the two parties made. So I don't, the whole argument, it's like, well, if the parliamentarian would allow something better to put in it, or Chuck Schumer would allow this amendment, well, we're still eating a bowl of uh, SHIT sandwich, to quote Ms. Turner. But, you know, you want to put some chocolate sprinkles or some salt and pepper on it. It's like, no, I'm not arguing for a bowl of SHIT with, you know, a little salt and pepper. Like, that's it's a whole rhetorical position, which I I think has been a real failure around the whatever you consider the left in regard to Biden's legislative agenda. Like, well, I think you're that, kind of, the, the oh. argument isn't, oh, they're you know, the parliamentarian, can, the argument is that the fact that the parliamentarian is disguising the extent to which the democratic party is actively not fighting for folks. And that it's important for people to understand that not because they think if they, you know, get rid of the parliamentarian, the democratic party is magically going to be able to follow through, but that it helps the broader public understand that they shouldn't put faith in the democratic party in the first place. It's revealing talking about that. So specifically prevents people from looking at folks like you, me, and Sirota and saying, oh, you just hate Biden. Oh, you're just sour grapes about Bernie. You don't want him to succeed. Look, Democrats tried hard. This is all they could do. Why are you still complaining? The parliament, what, what David is doing and, and being very specific about the parliamentarian maneuver is, is to expose what the Democratic Party is really up to, not to try to actually force their hand to do something good. Outside well, of you yeah, know, exposing the dim leads to a third party or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but why we have a big country? Why should you get rid of a parliamentarian? That's kind of how these bodies work. I mean, you have to have a set of rules, otherwise, what the hell is that? Uh, why don't they change the rules? Well, they really it? want to do that. That's the conversation. Who makes the rules? The Democrats well, and Republicans. The parliamentary. Well, no. Yeah, one like, of the what? rules. One of the rules, though, that exists, Anthony, is that you don't have to listen to the parliamentarian. That is a rule too. Yeah, but that's – I don't think that's the proper way to do anything, and that's irrespective of left or, left or right if, you know, if you're trying to break your own rules because – No, no, that's no, how but hear what I'm saying, Anthony. The, the, the rule is you don't have to listen to the parliamentarian. That is a rule. Yeah, the, I understand the, that. The parliamentarian advice is not something that it has – well, no. Like there, I, if I have a secretary, you know – I can say, hey, can you proofread my stuff before it goes out the door? And he says, yeah, totes. And they proofread a letter, and he says, hey, I think you spelled this wrong. And then I well, come back to him and say, no, actually, it's supposed to be that way. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute, wait a minute. And if he comes back to me and says, oh, it's spelled wrong, and I say, no, 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 that's the name of a name brand. That's actually how it's supposed to be spelled. That's me overruling. A man who I hired just to give me advice. 
The rule is I hired this man and paid him a salary to help me out at work. But if the rule is not that I have to listen to everything that he says, I've hired him to just be there in an advisory capacity. And that is what the parliamentarian is. So it is fully within the rules and by design of the parliamentary procedure to ignore or overrule her. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, but it is not, uh, it's just a sloppy way to do things. If you want to skirt the rules, the parliament, I, I mean, I don't want to, the parliamentarian is not the biggest part of this discussion. The part of the discussion is corporate giveaways and we're being funneled into corporate giveaways. But the parliamentarians enforcing a set of criteria that are not enforcing, giving an opinion on a set of criteria that's pretty cut and dry, you know? So like, why are you, I mean, if you're going to disregard it's that. Not, it's, just... it's not cut and dry. Part of the issue around 15, if you recall, was that, Bernie and they had this some like not progressive CBO expert weighed in, maybe not CBO, but whatever it is, weighed in and Bernie was touting that he had gotten this approval for the $15 minimum wage, right? Somebody who was not some leftist sympathizer said, yeah, totes my goats, $15 minimum wage can be passed by budget reconciliation. And Bernie and all the progressives were making a big brouhaha about this in like late January. Then in February, Joe Biden comes out and says, I actually suspect that it cannot pass via, via budget reconciliation, which was the first warning sign. Because all the experts said it could pass. Here comes Joe Biden opening his big trap saying it can't pass. Lo and behold, two weeks later, his agent, again, my secretary in this analogy, magically happens to pair it with Bernie, uh, what Joe Biden says. And then that then that Chuck Schumer uses as an excuse to strip a $15 minimum wage out of the bill. So I would argue that what we're seeing here is corruption. Someone who is obviously in a subordinate position under political influence, whether or not they want to say she's independent, I think that's a bunch of malarkey. It's as though you were believing that my secretary, whose salary I pay, magically just, you know, it's completely his own volition not listening to me. And then saying, well, you just got to follow the rules. No, I hire the secretary and I have just as much ability to have any kind of expert in the world tell me what the rules are about what passes the budget reconciliation process. And I think what they want is for people to trust that she is apparently is the only person on earth who can figure out to what, you know, what, what qualifies for budget reconciliation. And that's just not true. So I think that what you're doing a little bit is hamstringing yourself unnecessarily. And of course, these people have set up the systems to do exactly that. Well, yeah, all right. I guess I'm probably wrong in the parliamentarian. You got me there. But uh, what I have to that conversation is fighting for 15 is an insult. I mean, that was pathetic before the inflation. And now the inflation, mm-hmm. I'm not fighting 15. I'm not spending one ounce of energy fighting. For, I'm fighting for 30, 40. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's right. I completely agree and with you there. So, like, I mean, the whole Bernie thing, it's kind of, it hasn't evolved since 2016 at all or in my opinion, I don't think so. I think it's kind of dead ending and TYT is part of that whole thing. Sirota, Sam, I never watched Sam Cedar, but it's, I don't know what, you know, you consider these people the left. I just, why are they left? Because they want Medicare for all and uh progressive tax structure. What's, what's left about them? Well, yeah, that is why. That is why they are part of the left. And I am interested in, convincing people to get on board with the fight that I'm I'm in rather than dismissing them because they are not already where I'm at. And that includes people who I have had pretty vocal disagreements with, like Jank and Sam. 
And I respect if you feel differently. And I think, a, like, a, like I said, drank a, plural, a plurality of approaches is useful. As Sam loves to say, let many flowers bloom. <laughs> but my feeling is that, you know, what I feel in my heart and my frustrations and whether or not someone is to the right of me, it's like an interesting conversation for me and my partner at the dinner table. But on the whole, I think you and I and everybody can see where everyone lands in this political landscape. And I don't get a lot of – it doesn't do a lot for me to be like, oh, Sam's a fake leftist. Like, that doesn't do a lot for me. It doesn't really matter to me to say it that way. Again, the point is that a lot of people who I think are politically aligned with me and want to fight for the things I fight for listen to his show. So my goal is for those people to be mobilized in the way that I would hope that – for them to be mobilized and it's not really about sam or jank or anybody at a certain point you know so our last thing i'll agree to disagree but it's like uh it's kind of swimming in the podcast pool and like uh kind of you know i mean i know right now you're having a conversation with real people but i don't know swimming in the podcast pool it's kind of like you're all kind of having similar ideas and they're not i don't know anyway that's all i got but thank Wait, you rock you... and roll okay i mean I, what do you, i mean i'm curious what you mean by that I mean, like, all of your jobs are to be on camera, say things, and uh, maybe write some, you, you know, write Substack and stuff, or Patreon and stuff like that. So, like, wow, my job is, I mean, I'm not talking about me, but my job is not that. My job is laborious, physical. There are other people who are, I don't know, delivery drivers or, you know, like, you know, you're professional podcasters. It's like, you're really, it's a... Uh, it's a limited perspective for sure. And I'm, I'm glad to hear you and hear from you. Um, if you want to offer something specific about what you think should be different, but a lot of people who are driving delivery cars and things like that also listen to Sam Cedar. I hear them call into his show when he does his live, his live. Call. I mean, I haven't listened to his show in quite some time, but he used to do these live calls and there was similarly people from all walks of life. So like I said, I am invested in his audience, I'm in, I'm, I want to be supportive and push in the right direction, what I consider to be the right direction. Anybody who has attracted the attention of the kind of people that I think that we should be allied with. And I don't know, I don't see how that's a bad thing, but if you, if you have something specific, you know, that you think that should be happening differently in the space, I'm, I'm happy to hear it. Oh, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize he had left. Okay. Um, Jose? My, Josue? My, how do you pronounce your name? You're, in the, you're up next. Can you unmute yourself? Hi, it's uh, Josue. Josue. Nice to meet you. What's on your mind yes, this evening? I, I called in when you um, talked to Matt Stoller. Uh, was a, oh, okay. A or so ago. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it, was, it was a sort of... Um, similar motivation to call back yeah <laughs> of uh how, accurately how you described um in in your debate with him just letting letting someone hang themselves um i feel like i feel like you should probably have some sort of master class like dvd set on like just <laughs> <laughs> letting people just sort of spin out in their own fumes and then like tire themselves out um and then just um yeah, no, it was uh, very, uh, very, very impressive. I'm a huge fan, and um, uh, I, I think a lot of it's already been said, so I, I won't rehash too much of it. But um, I think uh, 
an angle that I'll contribute um, that's different, I think, on the whole situation is that um, two, two things related to it. I think one is, I think a lot of these pundits, um, I think you and maybe Sam are probably the only exceptions, um, but a lot of these pundits actually don't know how to have conversations with people. Mm. Um, like, like genuinely don't understand like how to actually have a conversation and like, and have humility to like admit when they're wrong. Mm. But I, I think, I don't know if it's like a chicken or the egg, but I feel like that also lends themselves to believe that they will, I think, continue or uh, increase their popularity with their, whoever their core listeners are, if they're always right. Yeah. Right. Like that, mm-hmm. like, I feel like they can, they're never allowed to admit this, that they're wrong because mm-hmm. like they'll feel threatened. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's not a coincidence that they're all dudes except for you. <laughs> I, I grew that, up with, I yeah. grew up with two older sisters. So I'm, I'm very used to just admitting that I'm wrong all the time. <laughs> yeah. Look, that's so funny that you say that no one wants to admit that they're wrong. Cause to be honest, I hate being wrong. I hate being wrong and being proven that I'm wrong so much that my strategy is not commit to things until I know that I'm right. (laughs) Like, it's not that I'm right all the time. Like, it's not that I think I'm always right, but you guys hear me saying things like, I don't know about foreign policy. Okay. Let me have Matt Duss on. I trust Matt Duss. He worked for Bernie. Let's see what he says about Ukraine. You guys are all like, I'm like, okay, okay. Let's hear from somebody else. Like, I'm not going to pretend I know about some of this stuff until it's something that I like know, know about, which at this point I feel like I could, I could, you know, teach a PhD level course on force the vote. <laughs> um, and, and that's useful to me. It, it, it helps me navigate these kinds of arguments a lot better and to not take positions. It's like, sometimes, sometimes you don't even know where you're going in a debate and you can just ask somebody a question. Like instead of trying to answer, someone asks you something like kind of nuts or that you think is a bit of a setup or something that they're trying to get you to commit to something like, you know, obviously a lot of people want me to commit to saying bad things about various podcasters and media personalities that they don't like. And then other people hear me trying to duck and dodge out of that. And they say, well, you're, you're tacitly defending X, Y, and Z person. And what I would say is there is a critique I could have of everybody that Jank wanted me to critique, but there's also a, a critique of Jank. And I was like, if we open up this can of worms, if you want me to say something bad about Jimmy, he brought up the stuff with Anne and his sexual harassment. Okay, well, I'm going to have to say some stuff about you. And then this conversation yeah, exactly. is going to go in a whole other direction. <laughs> and so it's not to me. It was like, I'm literally trying to protect you, Jank. <laughs> you, you, you don't want me to open this can of worms about all these other people you have problems with. It's, you don't want me to talk about money. Who's funded by who? I promise you, you don't want to open that door, Jank. Okay, you know what I mean? Why are we doing this? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I'm just sometimes when you're in that position, I find it's better to just ask them a question. What do you mean that I'm in association with these people? Qualify it. Because if I start trying to explain, oh, well, I've actually only been on Jimmy's shows once in my whole life and he's never been on Bad Faith. Now it sounds like I'm throwing Jimmy under the bus. It sounds like I'm intentionally distancing myself from Jimmy when I'm just just recounting the reality of our limited, you know, fruitful. I very much appreciated his support through Force of Vote and thought he was a wonderful advocate and helped to plan and fund a lot of the the march for uh, Force of Vote in Washington, D.C. And thought he was very gracious and good about all of that um put his money where his mouth was in a real way but you know i we we don't have a we don't have a relationship 
So, you know, either he's, he would force me into having that kind of a conversation, which I think minimizes Jimmy unfairly, you know, or I'd like am admitting to something in league with people in this conspiratorial way that it was framed. So if I ask him instead, well, what do you mean by, and I have an alliance with this person that forces him to describe something that doesn't exist. And you heard right. him, you kind of just dropped it. Like, what do yeah. you mean I have an alliance with Tulsi? I've never spoken to Tulsi. Right. Exactly. I was like, what? I've never emailed I'm... Tulsi. I've never DM'd Tulsi. I don't and think not... you've ever talked about her. I, I barely talk about her. You know, like I've been on Nico's show, you know, <laughs> Nico supported force the vote. And, and that's no shade to talk. I mean, like, I understand the critiques of Tulsi. And if I like spent more than two minutes thinking about them, I'm sure that I would join some of them and object to some others of them. But, yeah. you know, I, I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be flaky. I, I, I just, well, you, so let him substantiate it. I, right, I'm not going right. to get into that. Yeah. So I, I, th I think, I think this is like, goes back to, I, I just severely disagreed with, I think the second caller, Eric, um, mm. he's, he's, he don't listen to him. Um, <laughs> you guys play you, nice. <laughs> what, I, what I mean by that is you are leading by example in this space. Like that is more important than, than, well, this person's wrong. So I don't have to talk to them. I, that's like that strategy. I mean, I feel like if that strategy were to work, everything would be resolved right now, right? Because everyone's everyone's siloed themselves yeah. in every single sector. All the people in this corner and all the people in that corner, like, and it hasn't worked. And and if you really think about it, like, that's not how anything ever gets resolved, right? Mm -hmm. that's, like, mm -hmm. it's like you know, the Greeks still hate the Turks. The Israelis <laughs> still hate the Palestinians. It's like it's like oh well, they you know siloing yourself is not helpful but like i think it's the, it's the intellectually lazy thing to do a, a mm -hmm. like primarily i mean that way people don't they don't have to think for themselves they don't have to you know really like admit that they're wrong and they get to keep their audience and get to you know show their audiences that they're just so right and they you know that they're they're just i, I don't know I, I think that's the motivation um but but um i think what you're doing is leading by example and I, it just made me think like wow like if someone like brie could just do this more often with like everybody on the left like just actually engage people in conversation like you were you were tr i mean i applaud you for like trying to tell him like listen dude you have a freaking huge platform like why aren't you bringing these people together like why aren't you talking to people and having these open discussions and modeling that for the broader left and modeling that for like all these people like all these all these audience members across these platforms and like guess yeah. how guess how quickly the left could be unified if that were the case. And that's just not, I, I they, well, they'd look, rather have their own fiefdoms, you know? Well, here, here's the harsh reality. And again, this is why I'm so grateful for the Patreon model, because <laughs> the reality is doing that is not especially lucrative or the path to growth. That's the honest I, truth. But, but be, I, I, I'll disagree with you mainly because mm -hmm. you see how successful, I feel like rising is and, and breaking points, like shows like that, like prove it wrong. I feel so like I, there, everyone there's like so hump, like you guys are so open and so like, hey, I don't know everything, but this is my opinion. I'm approaching it honestly. Sorry to interrupt. So, yeah, I, I do think so. I would say that what happens on like rising and breaking point is a little bit different because the hosts have, you know, for the show to work, the hosts have to have a, a good relationship. It's not actually I mean, mm -hmm. we differ, but it's not so openly. I don't know. I have to think that through a little bit more. My my impression is, even if it is potentially lucrative. Okay, so take for instance, take for instance this this video. Um, more people have watched the response videos to the debate than the debate itself, and that was true of the Sam Cedar debate too. Like now, it's over a hundred thousand views, but at the time, like you know, people like 
you know, I think I think Kyle Kalinsky did a did a thing on it at the time. And I remember being frustrated. It's not Kyle's fault, obviously, but I remember being frustrated that like his video about my video had like three <laughs> times as many, you know what I mean? Views that mine did. And even like the Noam Chomsky interview, like nobody watched, like it went viral. We trended for the day and like nobody watched our interview. Everybody watched the, everybody's takes on my interview. And that's, there's a reason for that. It's because like, we want to hear someone being like, oh, that motherfucker was a fucking punk and she owned him. And like, people want that commentary that I'm not giving you, but it's tacit. And like, someone needs to do the anger translation, you know, key and Mm -hmm. peel. And they mm-hmm. want they want that visceral anger. I think, and that's not I'm not like dissing anybody. Like that's legitimate. Like I, I really do think there's a legitimate place for the passion that Jimmy Dore brings to things, even if sometimes I wish he would not engage in some friendly fire. But I think there's a legitimate place for that passion because people are pissed and people want to totally. be entertained. Oh, and like yeah. it is what it is. It's human nature. We don't have to fight it at every po- point. But I think there is a there is a ceiling for how how many rabid clicks are going to get on like a dispassionate polite conversation <laughs> <laughs> i mean i know i know it's it's uh yeah it's it's not the it's not the model i i think i'm just i guess you have to be worried about the short game and i'm i'm thinking more like long game like the long game of like you do that's why man, I, that's like why if I do you, it. If, if yeah. you like you are a leader in this space because you lead by example and i feel like if more people could just see you in action and and doing this kind of stuff and like again you know like appreciate like you were telling me listen i'll moderate like i'll moderate you guys like you know i'll uh, there's no reason like why we couldn't everyone's basically saying the same thing and agreeing the same thing but you know uh just acting the way that they are so anyways it, it that 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 that's that's that and the, the, just the second thing i wanted to bring up was i'm not sure if you talked about this or not but I, you know, and you can feel free to, to plead the fifth on, on any of this, uh, because I know you have a relationship to, to, the, to, to the senator from Ohio, Nina Turner. Um, I, I was a little bit sad <laughs> when I saw, like, the sort of tirade that she was launching on, on Twitter. Um, I, I, I was kind of, I kind of felt like, man, I guess this is over. The whole thing has just kind of collapsed onto itself. Um, I, I, you know, I think Jimmy's reaction to that was interesting because, you know, he basically, like, they basically said, like, all she needed to do was after, after the progressive caucus, like stabbed her in the back, been like, go on to all the, all of your shows and be Mm -hmm. like, well, the progressives are a bunch of frauds. F them. Um, I'm running independent. And like she would have galvanized yeah. every everyone would have been behind her. Like everyone would have been like, "Yeah, great." She's she's like saying the truth. And like, I don't know. I, so I just don't know. Again, you can plead the fifth on. Look, no, this. I feel the same way. I've said that on the show. And look, we just basically had this conversation with India Walton, right? Yeah. Like she was in the same position as Nina exactly. Turner. And I, you know, I was kind of surprised. I mean, I think she, in, internally, I think they're all very mad and hurt. But they have made, and, and I'm not speaking from like insider knowledge. Just this is just my perception. My perception is that they have made a different assessment than we have. And I don't think it's like bad faith per se. I just disagree with it. Mm-hmm. And I think that the assessment that they have made is that as frustrated as they are with the Democratic Party, they don't see any alternative. They see third parties as a dead end and that they are ineffectual. And that as frustrating as it is to work within the Democratic Party, they must. I, I think that's sincerely what they feel. I could not agree more with it, but, you know, it's hard to argue with people about, 
you know, you know, someone who was actually doing this professionally as a career to tell them, you know, burn all your bridges and go third party. You know, I do appreciate that it's easier for us to say than for someone who's made a career of this to say that. Yeah, now that's the, the problem bubble. with careerism. Yeah. I mean, that's the pro- <laughs> yeah. that's the problem, right? And like the right, the right on the right, they take care of their candidates, they give them jobs, they let them come work at Heritage or whatever when they lose elections. And on even among neoliberals, look at Stacey Abrams. You lose your big, you know, gubernatorial raise, your Senate raise, and they welcome you to get a job paying you six figures at CAP so you can lick your wounds and and rally for the next time around. But on the left, we don't have that. And it's like, you know, is is, is Senator Turner going to start a podcast and have a Patreon? I mean, she had one, mm-hmm. and it didn't last very long, you know? And yeah. you can say that there's reasons for that, that she should have been more adversarial on the podcast and da-da-da-da, and maybe that's true. But, you know, is she going to – is she going to what? Maybe go, go back and teach at, um, you know, the Cuyahoga Community College? Maybe. Maybe that's maybe that's a plan. You know, is she going to start a pack? Yeah. I don't know. Like, I, 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 and I'm not saying this is an excuse. I'm just trying to offer what I think are not, you know, reasons that I don't agree with, but that I don't think are bad faith reasons why things happen the way they do. Yeah. You know, it's just like human beings doing human being things and assessing what they need to get by, and it's shitty. And I wish everyone were firebrand and like were willing to throw their whole life you know, on the pyre for us. Yeah. I get it. I was very depressed. I was like, well, I literally like just feel like, but I, mean, I you know, she was, she was part of the whole like people's party kind of launch and stuff like that. I was like, Oh, yeah. this is clearly like, you know, an easy Avenue. And uh, I don't know. So uh, anyways, yeah, uh, I yeah. It look and uh, I want to do an episode. I keep asking people who they want to vote, like who they would pick for a left candidate in 2024, and nobody wants to answer. So I'm going to stop asking that question. I'm going to instead put names out there and force people to respond to the names that I choose. I think that'll make for a better podcast conversation. And I'm going to start saying, what do you think about Marianne Williamson? What do you think about Anita Turner? What do you think about Elizabeth Warren? I, Sorry. I, I think, I think, um, I mean, do, you, you mean like as, as Dem, Dem if they were to run. or independent, if they were to, if they were to run both, what, what, how would you feel about Marianne if she ran as a Dem versus as an independent? Would you vote for, uh, Elizabeth Warren if she won the primary? Like, these are interesting questions to, to temperature check people, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's just too chicken shit to like. Everyone's too just chicken shit. Yeah. By the way, I have the a new hell? Elizabeth Warren theory. I don't know who Uh-oh. said this to me the other day. I'm, I'm in Massachusetts actually. So go ahead, go for oh, it. Oh, loud. Okay. So you're in the state that uh, voted for her as a third choice for president. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. That's just, that's, she should tell you everything you need. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. She can stick it, especially because she brought up all this Bernie stuff again. So I agree. Oh my God. I, I, I have a theory. Someone said this to me that, that the reason that that story is making the rounds is because she's positioning herself for 2024 and that she thinks she's the only one left to, to lead the left and that she can bring together the Bernie coalition. Warren? Yes. And then when you think about it, it kind of makes sense that she thinks this. So, she, you know, <laughs> so like, they're like this, 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 this Bernie Hillary story is to get as a trial balloon to get her back in the national conversation. We're obviously in a, um, a moment where people are talking, thinking about women's issues because of Roe and that maybe people are back in that it's her turn mindset and really wanting a female candidate, 
you can say what you want about her, and I do, but she's, I would argue, more viable than Kamala and able to, like, say a sentence without sounding insane. She's a, she's a literally a, a constitutional lawyer at a time when we're going to be debating Roe, and that's such a central interest of the Democratic Party. And she's going to make the case for why she should run in 2024. And I think we should start preparing as a left community <laughs> for how we feel about that, because holy moly. Out, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yikes. Yikes. No, that I don't, I don't, I think, I don't know. It's just, I don't, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think um, yeah, I was actually talking to someone recently. It was like, also like, by the way, just PS side note, like all of these effing senators are like, are they all going to retire at the same time? Basically, retire. Like they're expire. all. Like, they're all like <laughs> in the late sixties to eighties. Like in the next five, ten. I mean, there's going to be a huge turnover. So, anyways, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm digressing, but uh, um, I think that's why they were priming. I mean, then we're trying to prime. I mean, obviously, they're priming Buddha Judge. I feel really bad for like Cory Book, uh, Book um, Cory Booker, and like Julian Castro and these guys who've been like waiting on the bench, and they were like the young new guys, and now they're all yeah. like 55, 60. <laughs> Honestly, I feel like Gillibrand out of that brunch, about that bunch, seems like the most genuine one. She got, she got mm, that Al Franken I, thing. I, I, Please educate me. If I, if I miss something, I'm, I, yeah. Well, she, I mean, she came out really strong against uh, Al Franken saying that he should step down. And, yeah. you know, whatever you feel about it, the public opinion on that didn't age well. And almost immediately there was backlash. I, we did a segment today on Rising about how there's all of these issues. This polling firm um, was was trying to get at the root of self-silencing, self-censorship, which, of course, mm-hmm. gets spun into this horrible white right-wing thing where it's like, oh, all the conservatives aren't allowed to talk on college campuses, and it's, like, largely bullshit. But there's something to it. Um, I think everyone self-censors to a certain extent because we are all trying to be polite and stuff, and we all know that we have hot takes. And I do think there's something about so, – so one of the polls was that more men say they believe that abortion should be a woman's right exclusively than actually believe it. And the other Mm -hmm. poll that we read out, the result was women, more women uh, think that they actually don't know if masking works than are willing to admit it out loud. Like they don't know if masking works. And I was like, both of those make sense to me. And I don't read a lot into them. It's like, it's not like, Oh, liberals are silencing people. No, I think it's that, you know, we all understand from a legal perspective that there's a reason why we want to invest women solely with the right to make the decision about her body. But in like a cultural context, like if I have a partner, you know, I would, you know, my partner's feelings about whether or not he would want to raise a child with me would definitely inform my decision to get an abortion. And he would probably like want to weigh in. And that doesn't mean that he thinks he should be able to control what I do, but like, it's difficult to have that conversation, you know, without sounding like you're saying it's not your exclusive right. You know what I'm saying? So people yeah. keep those thoughts to themselves. Same with masking. Like there's a little lot of confusing talk about masking, about what works and what doesn't and what kind of masks work. This is the subject of my radar today. And I think a lot of good liberal women want to support masking because they know that culturally it's the right thing to do while not getting a lot of really specific information about, you know, the, how much they prevent the transmission of COVID. We almost never hear about it. Yeah. Specifically, what percent? Likelihood does wearing a mask prevent you from getting COVID if it's a KN95 versus a surgical mask? Like, tell me. I don't know. I had to Google it for my radar today, but before that, I had no clue. 
I was like, oh, these are actually way more effective than I thought. Yeah. Yeah. So so people don't talk about it because they don't want to seem like they're undermining the value of masking. Why did I bring all of this up? What were we talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, was Elizabeth Warren... No, Kristen Gillibrand. Kristen yeah, Gillibrand. Oh, yeah. I think that's the same with the that was with the Me Too stuff. A lot of people thought it was going too far. Whether or not it was, people thought that, and so they were like, "Rah rah, Kristen Gillibrand, go for it, take down Al Franken." But after the dust settled, they were like, "I secretly liked Al Franken a lot." <laughs> <laughs> he was pretty hilarious back I mean, in the nineties. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So, anyways, all right. Well, I appreciate it. Um, I, I just wanted to get, give, make a quick note also from the previous caller that. Um, not sorry, I'm sorry, not previous caller. Well, yes, the previous caller about the Senate rules. Um, dude, uh, the Senate literally gets every session, they have to approve what the rules are. So there's a secret, like any set, like the Senate could literally change how they do every single thing that they do if they want. That mm-hmm. that That's just like, <laughs> this, the dirty little secret is like, they all agree to the bird rule and the, all these things every single time. Um, and I, I learned that um, reading... Um, uh, Johnson's uh, JFK and Johnson biographies during the pandemic when I was mm-hmm. trying to like learn about instead of like you know posting a bunch of hashtag you know Black Lives Matter I was like I'm just going to read history and see like actually how these things got done in the past. Is there a particular um, biography you recommend? Absolutely, I'm uh, actually uh, Sagra has it on his um, on his mantle. Um, Robert, uh, uh, oh Jesus, is it Robert Caro? He wrote. Mm-hmm. It, unfortunately, it's like six volumes. Oh, on on Lyndon Johnson, um, but like he, I mean, it, it goes through like I mean, tons of stuff. Like his, it's really it's fantastic. I mean, I, I yeah, I read like I started like I did a Wilson. I basically did all the presidents from Wilson to um, through uh, through Nixon, and I was like, wow, that's actually like why our. <laughs> it's like it was just it was very 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 helpful and very informative, and um, you know b- brings to light. I, you know, the fact that like the Senate, the, the Senate and the house get to make all their rules, mm-hmm. um, every single session, they, they, they can dismantle all these stupid things that we are all squabbling about. If they wanted to get rid of the parliamentary, they probably could, they, you know, they could, they could do whatever they want. Also, um, shows the importance of outside movements because like basically all through up until like all that era, like all the politicians were like you to your using your language that you use with Jank, like afraid. Mm. Um, they were deeply afraid um, of, you know, the, on the democratic side, like uh, Hubert Humphrey was like deathly afraid of like unions, not backing him for every single, you know, his elections. Mm-hmm. Um, certain other constituents were, had other constituents. Um, J- Johnson had his uh, natural gas constituency from Texas that like he had to appease, uh, you know, so like they were in, in all these biographies, like they very blatantly like were talking about like how that they were very aware of I can't piss these people off because there will be consequences. And like I just I just feel like n- just people don't know that, like don't understand that these days. And yeah. this is like, you know, the stuff that you've been talking about a lot. And, you know, it's, again, like th- threats from third parties, like all of that stuff matters. You know, people are like, oh, well, uh, you know, Ross Perot in the 90s. I'm like. Rosper in the nineties, like the fact that his election was extremely consequential, like Clinton got elected because of it, a, you know, like, you know, in terms of like the, the, the balance of, of voting, but also it changed a lot of the, the outcome of like what Republicans looked like, like a lot more mm-hmm. libertarians became like, you know, were, 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 were much more prominent than the Republican party, you know, like these things are important. So, um, and then yeah, the, then, and then, um, the, uh, force to vote stuff, I was like, if you again 
having read all that, I'm like, of course, for, like the, this has been something that's always been done. Like how people don't understand like how many civil rights acts were passed in the forties mm. by the house mm-hmm. that like never, you know, the Senate never picked it up, but like the house is passing civil rights act after civil rights act, after civil rights act. And, you know, it was, it, it was important a to their constituents. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're like, Hey, we're, we see you, we're doing our best, you know, mm-hmm. like just like the Republicans did to try to repeal Obamacare. Like it didn't, wasn't successful, but like, you know, you're, you're doing the thing and you're put you're forcing you they, that put, causes pressure amongst the, 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 the house and in the members themselves. And so mm-hmm. anyways, everything you're saying is right. So just, you're, <laughs> well, you're I'm glad right. to hear it. Cause I haven't <laughs> read the book, but you read the book and you're telling me that I'm right. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to take that. <laughs> thank you so much for calling in. All right. Thank you so much. Take care. Take care. All right. No work, Chris. Que pasa? It's been a while, like a couple months. I know. How have you been? What's on your mind this evening? I've been all right, seeing a new lady friend. She's at the uh, Leon Bridges show in Queens tonight, and uh, uh yeah. Anyway, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. I have two things to talk to you. You want uh, about? Uh, you want the fun gossipy bullshit thing first, or the? Yeah, let's get that out of the way. All right. Uh, F Boy Island. Did you see the? (laughs) Yeah. I texted Katie Halper immediately upon finishing the second season and said, Katie, we need to do a podcast about F Boy Island. And Katie Halper said, What's F Boy Island? (laughs) (laughs) I, so first of all, I binge watched the book back to back. Season one in particular was extraordinary. Just extraordinary television it was i don't remember that one as well because i saw it the first time i i did not binge watch both at the same time but i just finished season two and have have strong opinions so what do you what do you like or not like about it Uh, wait a minute let's set this up a little bit let's set this up you guys are familiar with the concept of reality tv i don't have to explain it to you F-Boy Island is different for a couple of reasons. One, it's the brainchild of comedian Nikki Glaser, and she is also the host. So instead of that dead fish-eyed host, uh, you know, kind of a failed actor who's been floating around L.A. or like Nick Lachey or something, this is the one who actually brings a comedic value to every scene. Moreover, she has put a twist on the dating show that puts a little bit more power back in the hands of women. So, like, technically the bachelor or the bachelorette is, like, a woman getting to choose between all these men. But there is still this, like, weird gendered aspect of it. She's judged. She makes that with too many men. You know, it's not it's not all the way there. This show, the women, again, are picking the men, but there's an added twist. Um, half of them are nice guys. Half of them are F-boys. If she ends up picking an F-boy for the final person... He has the option of walking away with $100,000. If she picks a nice guy, regardless of if he wants to stay with her for the long term, they get to split the $100,000 50 50. Um, and if she, uh, sorry, so, and also the F boy has the option just to actually stay with her and they can split the money, but there's a risk built into the show if she picks the F boy. There's also a thing that I like is where they, Toward the end of the the show, they reveal 
whether someone's a nice guy or an F boy. So you don't have to wait until like the reunion show to get some of the juicy stuff. They have an ability to rat on each other in episodes. They can tell each other if they have like secret girlfriends or whatever. There's something that's like takes away some of the artifice of the dating shows and makes it much more visceral. And also the women I think are a little keener, a little smarter about their decision-making a little more Machiavellian themselves, and it doesn't feel like they're prey in the way that some of these dating shows can feel. Is that accurate to you? Especially Tamaris. Yes, Tamaris is Tamaris. Well, don't spoil it for people, but Tamaris, one of the women well, in the th- in the third in the second season, is extraordinary. If you don't want the spoilers, kind of mute it for a minute because I think. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I get into that, but. At the at the very end, they're like, "Well, here you go, three ladies. You can all like they were narrowed down to two to two guys each, right?" Mm-hmm. And 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 Nikki Glazer's like, "Okay, here's the extra thing. You can just decline each of the two guys mm-hmm. and take all the money for yourself, mm-hmm. and tell those tell those guys to fuck off, essentially." Mm-hmm. Which is very interesting because I I watched the last episode with my girl and she was pulling it up on Instagram and it seems very incestuous because they're all they're all hanging out after mm-hmm. the show. Mm-hmm. All of them. if you look on Instagram, they're all like, uh, who's the Staten Island boy? He's hanging out with my Mia mm-hmm. and after she rejected him and. Like she rejected him, and he goes like, kind of, kind of postal on her. Like, why'd you do this to me? Lie to me? This and that. Blah blah blah. I, that part I thought was really interesting, but um. Anyway, what was your overall reaction to like the final episode? I thought it was a little shocking. I really wanted Mercedes to lose because I knew he would lose it if he he was going to go off if he got declined. And I I wanted to see that, honestly. I thought it would make great television. Wait, who's Mercedes? There's Mia, Tam- Tamaris. Mercedes is well, the so, dude. Oh, I was about that, to say, I'm like, the, the blonde girl's name wasn't Mercedes. I forget what it was, but it certainly wasn't Mercedes. Uh, Louise. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had thought so. Okay, so you need some background for this, guys. I'm really sorry, but in in season one, there was one girl who picked an F boy, and the F boy chose to take the money. And it was very clear that this guy was not a good guy, and you almost didn't feel bad for her because it was so stupid of her to choose this man. <laughs> and she had a really nice guy in second place, and she just fully was like, "No, I love a fuck boy." And the fuck boy, to his credit, like these people don't have a lot of. I mean, first of all, a hundred thousand dollars is a lot of money to anybody, but these people are like twenty-two years old. You know, they're like LA people who are struggling actors and stuff, and like they have like they're like TikTok personalities. Nobody has a lot of money. $100,000, I would argue that every single person on this show has a moral obligation to just take as much money as they can from the situation and go invest it in their retirement. <laughs> um, but she picks the fuck boy and he takes the money. Now, controversially, Nikki Glazer in the moment is like, actually, never mind. This is my show. You don't get to keep the money. It's going to get donated to a charity of her choosing. People had mixed feelings about this because in the moment it felt good because this guy was such a douchebag, but it also undermined the integrity of the show. 
In oh. season two, he she tells him, I promise not to do that again. If you are a fuckboy and you get the money, you get to keep the money. But she does add this added, added element of, of evening it out by saying, and girls, you also have the option to take all the money. And what's interesting about it is these kinds of shows presume always that the women are really in it for love and that they fall deeply in love and that they think these men are really their prince charming and their soulmate and their one and only. And that, of course, they would never choose money over the man. But women are never given the option in these kind of situations. Nikki Glaser gave her the option. And one of the contestants, I'll say without choose saying who, took it despite actually having picked the best men of the lot. I think she actually had picked nice guys and still chose to take the money. Cause she was like, this is a hundred thousand dollars. Like obviously. Yeah. 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 So I really liked it. And I think it was an interesting portrait in human behavior and it does something to burst the bubble of what these shows pretend to be that I thought I think this is an, an excellent social uh, experiment and hats off to Nikki Glazer. But, but before we bore everybody to death with a uh, reality show stuff, what, what is your other point? What's your other question? The other point is, is much more simple. Uh, you know, your interview on Monday with Jank, you, you mentioned it last week and I wasn't fully tuned into your call in last Thursday. Um, so I was like, googling this last weekend trying to find that because you said i thought you said you were preparing for it on friday and that it was happening last friday and then i was looking for it and i couldn't find it and then finally i saw nick cruz tweeted out on uh on monday and then i don't know if you saw their coverage of it on tuesday nick and cj on rbn covered it Mm kind of in depth did you see that Mm mm-hmm Okay, um, and, and I I agree with like kind of the way they they approached it off the bat, which was like, God, if I sat down with Jank, I'd be way more forward and aggressive than Bree was, and and I I agree with that, like I would have as well. Um, but God, you just have this way, Bree, that's like so good and powerful like kind of the same way you did Rokana back in in March after after uh Max Blumenthal interviewed him on the street kind of mm-hmm. like a streetway thing and and uh about the Ukraine situation and you had Rokana on your show and like you got you got to respect Rokan in one way for allowing himself to be in that position. And none of the squad members would do that. Mm-hmm. Almost Bernie wouldn't do that. Nobody else would put themselves in the position of being uh, in the position that you put Rokana in. But you fucking embarrassed Rokana. And you just. Like, you have this way, Brie, of just letting people embarrass themselves. And you you just say, you say your part as lightly as you can. I don't, maybe that's not even the right way to say it. But no, you have this way of just, like, letting people, and you did it to Jank. And Jank just, and it was amazing because, I, you know, I scrolled down the YouTube comments there. Uh, and it was on it was on his channel, right? Mm-hmm. So the conversation. All those, all those people are subscribe 
generally all those people are subscribers to his channel so they're they're fans of jenks and it was 99 to 1 like oh brie just eviscerated jank brie made jank look like a clown you know this and everything was in your favor except for the few people that are tools to the tyt and so i i guess all that is to say that stylistically there's something that we can all learn from you which is that you just let people embarrass themselves and it's fucking awesome and and bravo for what you did on on monday to, to jank you made him look uh completely like a clown and i mean when you you were mentioning the people that were supporting force the vote and you mentioned cornell west and chris hedges and then you said crystal ball and he like fucking rolls his eyes and then you say kyle kalinsky and he like looks at the ceiling and rolls his eyes i mean it's like i don't know how you could have a bigger win over somebody than that it was it was just so good so um well done i guess i I appreciate that and it's a lesson that i'm learning and and i'm just you know trying to grow with it i do feel like Sometimes there's a thing that happens where the more someone has one kind of energy, the easier it is to have the opposite kind of energy. And look, it is a kind of, it is not always fair, I would say. It is not always fair that the calmer person in a debate gets perceived better just because of their tone. I have been on the other side of that, and I have felt very right and passionate and gotten my blood pressure up and been very frustrated that I was judged on my tone and not the substance of what I was saying. But I've also tried to learn from those experiences and it's not fair, but it is true. And I know, you know, I know enough about Jank and and his rhetorical style and about the kinds of things that happen at Young Turks to know that if I gave, if I gave him an excuse to dismiss me, if I played into the caricature that he has already painted of me, and not just him, but, you know, all of the ways that I was described in the context of force the vote, that nothing I said would be heard. And so it, it really isn't about, it really wasn't about me feeling like I'm the bigger person or anything like that. I just, I do really feel like it was a trap set for me and I wasn't going to go in there. And I hear people saying, well, I would have yelled back and I would have done that. And I'm like, okay, like maybe that would have worked for you. But I raised my voice like one time with Sam Cedar and he turned around and called me an angry black woman on the internet within 48 hours. So (laughs) I wasn't, you know, that wasn't going to be me was just the choice that I made. And I balled up my fist (laughs) and I decided that I like, I had that weird look on my face the whole time because I was like, you had the best look on your face. (laughs) It was just the deadest look that I could muster. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah. Without being critical, I don't think I'm being critical of it. I think you you handled it so perfectly. You're like, what do you want me to say to this? And and he totally put you in the in the position of being a straw man for Jimmy, which is what Sam Cedar did as well. And it's like you're debating Bree, not Jimmy. If you wanted to debate Jimmy, have Jimmy on. And that, by the way, that was a microcosm of the whole thing about force the vote, which is that they never engaged. Oh. With the substance, because it was all about Jimmy. And that totally. was so sad, you know? Scott Desnoyer was sitting there talking about his son killing himself. And, you know, uh, Savage Marie was sitting there talking about not being able to read the paper in front of her because of her, you know, blindness. 
all these people were sitting here just talking, and he, and nobody could see any of that. They complained about the the force of vote town hall, which frankly made me cry. And I, I, I just I didn't understand. Like, I don't hate anyone in the world as much as these people hate Jimmy Dore. <laughs> and I just I don't understand how you couldn't see past that for a second. I mean, if, even if we all know how I feel about Owen Higgins, if Owen Higgins came here right now and said, Brianna, look, I know that you don't like me very much, but there is this real opportunity to, you know, extract these concessions out of Congress members. Will you retweet this for me? I'd retweet it. Just retweet it. I, I just like, I, I will be like, yes, Owen, I think you owe me an apology, but I'll go ahead and retweet this. He's very disrespectful towards you and it's disgusting. Yeah, well, I just, I don't, I just, I, I, I don't understand. I, I don't, it's like, where did, where did Jimmy Dore, like, I don't, I don't understand. And the other part of it is that they're all literally friends with each other. I mean, they all came, when, when, when he was describing how, like, he left be. Young Turks and all this stuff, I was like, this is crazy. You guys actually are all associates of each other. I'm not. <laughs> you guys all worked together and were friends for years. And I guess maybe that's where the animosity comes from, because, like, familiar, familiarity brings uh, breeds contempt or whatever. But I'm like, oh, guys, like you all have value add. And I sincerely mean that. I think that Jank has value add. Jimmy has value add. You know, I mean, Jank, Jank and TYT brought us all in. I think, I think I speak for probably most of the people in this room right now. Anybody that's been watching lefty politics for, you know, at least six, eight years, we, we all started at TYT and, been disappointing to see where TYT's gone, but I certainly started there. That's where that I know you didn't, Bree, but mm-hmm. um I know a lot of us did. And and that's where we found Jimmy. And, and that's why I wanted to succeed. Like I want TYT to succeed. I wanted to succeed by doing good things. Right? Like I'm I, not rooting for the failure of TYT. I'm rooting for TYT to I think be live up to its best potential. I feel that way too, but the way they've they've gone, I kind of root for their failure as well. <laughs> well, because because the, the the way they behave, it's just disappointing, and especially I think I think Anna more than than Jank at this point uh, are just so sour about everything that it's just it's frustrating. I want to. I want to build a coalition, and that's why when they go against Jimmy for, uh, you know, having that boogaloo boy on, who's like Magnus, whatever his name is, and you listen to the way Magnus talks about things, it's like, well, that's reasonable, and I can I can build a coalition with him and fight him on a few things where I disagree with him. And, and align with them on all the areas where we we where we agree, like that's that's how we move forward, mm-hmm. and that's where I want. I wish that like all these personality gripes that happen between and and Jimmy's not great on the on that stuff. Like he is very keen on fighting with people. And Sirota, be it Sirota or Grimm. Look, or... it's true, but and I don't like. I don't want to get like, oh, you were defending. Look, I'll say this about Jimmy Dore. I have been on the receiving end 
of Jimmy Dore's ire before in my life. I'll, I'll leave it there. It was a while back. It was before anyone was paying attention to this kind of thing. It was during the campaign. But I have been on the receiving end, and it did not feel good. But I will say this about him, and I feel the same way about Glenn. Glenn, Glenn is kind of like this. People behave and, one way on the internet, and they behave you, a different... I'm sorry? Yeah, Glenn, let's all... I'm not a, a religious person, but let's all uh, send our best wishes for his husband, David. Absolutely. Absolutely. The only reason yeah. I haven't reached out to him about any of this is because I'm not trying to bother him with this nonsense while he's obviously going through that um, yeah, difficult personal time, but absolutely positive energy out into the world for, for hey, Glenn and his family. You're in the hospital and that, that they can uh, move forward as, as a couple and that David uh, pulls off. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Thank, thank you for, thank you for pausing to do that, to say that. But the, the thing I feel about both of those men is that even if they can be a little, edgy on the internet, I find them to always be very conciliatory when you talk to them in in person. And that's not, you know, you can say that that's not right and that you should still have patience on the internet and that's fine. But I know that like my experiences, my limited experiences with Jimmy offline, or when I say, look, I understand why you're angry, but I assure you what, whatever your presumption was, isn't what it is. If I just talk to him, like I find him to be reasonable and to want good outcomes. And, you know, I, that's why I think that so many of these things need to be taken offline so much more. Uh, I don't always, mm-hmm. but I definitely think he wants the best outcomes. I think he's a little bit, a little bit unreasonable sometimes. Jimmy is certainly. Yeah, well, like I'm saying, I'm talking about <laughs> offline. Um, so, you know, that, that is what it is. And I think that people who are friends, like, you know, or who were friends and they have each other's phone numbers, they should definitely be having these power, these conversations offline. But look, thank you, Chris. I should move no. through this line. I've been doing very um, bad call management, uh, line Three management. For a while tonight, it was good to catch up. I, uh, I wish you the best. I wish we'll you the speak. best. Keep the faith, Chris. We'll speak. Bye. All right. I'm going to um, hop around a little bit. Oops. Amanda, I accidentally made you a speaker. I didn't mean to do that. I'm going to make you a caller. <laughs> I'm skipping around a little bit just for gender uh, diversity. I'm going to come back to the front. Don't worry, Jonathan. Unmute yourself, though, Amanda. What's on your mind? Good evening, Brianna. Um, I got two things for you. Mm-hmm. First thing is is this um, conversation you've been having off and on about, about maintaining um, your podcast and um, whether you should let this die down and do something else. I I think that you should maintain that infrastructure and continue to grow the audience and the network because you can't build a boat when the flood's already happening. So having the infrastructure, even if it, even if you scale it back, but not to a point where you can't build it back up because you're such a great communicator. And I know that you hear this frequently from people here on call in and I'm sure lots of places, but it, it's a good place if you can keep the infrastructure, even when it's calm and dull. It's kind of one of the reasons why I get less mad at the podcasts that do the discourse about the discourse, about the commentary mm-hmm. about the discourse, is like they're maintaining and building an audience and growing their audience with that kind of content. Mm-hmm. and. And you provide something that's not as 
um, I don't I don't even know what to call it. I am using a, a gesture right now. It's it, you you provide something that gives an alternative to just butting heads. You actually provide conversation. I I, I my my dream audience member position would be in in a seat in an audience where you were moderating a conversation between two people that have differing views about things because I think you're very good at you're very you're very quick to pick up on things you're knowledgeable you were kind of insulting yourself earlier that you don't know all these facts and dates but I don't think you have to be a a Noam Chomsky or a Cornell West who can quote every philosopher <laughs> or every date that's ever existed. You have to be you. That's the, if you did that, that wouldn't be you wouldn't be really you. So so that's the first thing. I just urge you to maintain it. And maybe instead of focusing on all of the crap shit that's going on federally, maybe you you occasionally take a break and 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 publicize a victory like the mm -hmm. like in the starbucks the recent mm -hmm. starbucks victory where the judge ruled that they were being mm -hmm. that starbucks was acting illegally because mm -hmm. those are good good news stories so i'm gonna switch this is my second topic instead of the ira we need to be talking about the era Today, mm -hmm. 102 years ago in Tennessee, they ratified the 19th Amendment, and then August 26th of 1920, it was certified, the 19th Amendment was certified, and women got the right to vote. It's only 102 years ago. My great-grandmother could not vote. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. My grandmother was a, was a child when that, when that amendment was passed. Mm -hmm. The Equal Rights Amendment, which was started in the 1920s, didn't get actually start getting ratifications by states until 1972. Mm -hmm. It now has 38 states that have ratified it. And the only thing stopping it from getting ratified is a squabble over whether the archivist will add it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to suggest yeah. that you interview yeah. um, the new, the, um, the ERA Coalition Fund for Women's Equality just hired a new person for their CEO, Zakaya Thomas. Do you know that woman? That name sounds so familiar. She worked on Kamala Harris's presidential campaign in 2020, yeah, according to I, her I bio. That, I knew I knew that name. Let me, let me Google Zakaya Z A K I Y A Thomas. Uh, I think Columbia. Yeah, I definitely know that name, but why? I don't know which one of these women is her. I don't think either. Right. Z Z A K I Y A. Yeah. Maybe she's not on Twitter, or maybe I am. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I could be blocked blocked by a lot of boring people. <laughs> Um, let me see. Uh, maybe she's not on Twitter. Let me not jump to conclusions. So the reason I bring this up is because on the media a couple of weeks ago had a little story about uh, an op-ed in the LA Times that Kate Kelly had put in about the ERA maybe helping to 
get abortion rights redone or or however you want to say and and before i called in and brought this up on your show i've done a lot of background work because i didn't want to be bringing up something that was like crazy sideways because i think this is something that needs attention right now we're 90 days from the election day we should be pressuring every elected official there's only 12 right now that are certified by the ERA coalition as being supportive of the ERA. It would be an easy win to get this thing in, according to several fairly good um, analyses by legal people, which I am not, that say there are a couple of pathways to go forward. And, And Zakiah Thomas is the is the new CEO and president of ERA coalition that is leading a bunch of organizations to bring more young people in, especially young women, into the into the discourse, and also working on um, getting the ERA. A couple of states have now sued in the U.S. District Court to get it published or printed. I think is what the technical term is, but. Um, I don't want to take up a lot of time because I because I really appreciate the conversations that that you have with the, the people that listen here, and I just wanted to put it on your radar because it's n- no pun intended. Because I think with August twenty sixth being the day that it, that the nineteenth amendment was certified, it right now is the right time to be bringing this up, and hopefully we can get attention because. According to some people, Joe Biden could just write a, write a letter to the archivist and say, print the thing, and then it would be in. But Joe Biden has said he's not going to do that. So so I just, I, I, I want you to look into it, please, because I think it's the, the time is right for putting pressure on people to try and get it done. And it could be a good yeah, win. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great suggestion for an episode. And I have taken my notes and I really appreciate you bringing it to my attention. Thank you, Amanda. And apologies to all for the change in the audio quality. My phone was dying and I had to unplug it from my Rode microphone so that I could charge it up really quickly. Um, Live long and prosper. (laughs) Live long and prosper, Amanda. Take care. Okay, I'm going to give a little bit of back back of the line love i think christopher you seem like a new face to me what's on your mind christopher did i catch you by surprise can you unmute yourself christopher going once christopher going twice christopher if you get back in line uh, after you realize that you've been called on and passed over i will bring you from the back jonathan what is on your mind this evening Hello. Hello. Uh, mine was kind of tangentially related to the to the Chank thing because I have to disagree with the first couple of callers. I thought it was a delight to watch. It was uh, kind of a master class in dealing with kind of aggressive mansplainers as a woman. Okay, like a, you were kind of like a, a matador flapping the red tape. Okay, you know he charges. You delicately dance aside and say ole, and then by the end of it, the raging bull is sitting down having a polite conversation. And that was, like, honestly, like I said, it's a master class in doing that. Now, thank you. You guys are very kind. 
contrast that with, unfortunately, on the rising today, Pavlina just stood there and got gored. And this is like the second time I've seen her done that, do that just on that show. It's like the fourth time I've seen her do it on that kind of panel. Like, I don't know what kind of pull you have by with the producers, but maybe there's somebody else you can put in that rotation for those kinds of panels because you did a better job pushing back on that ghoul from the Heritage Foundation than she did. Mm. Yeah, and like, was, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I was gonna, Steve Drumbine could do that. Like, he has conversations with libertarians and they stay civil, but there's like, he doesn't let things slide by like that. Yeah, it was difficult yeah, was because saying, that guy. So first of all, we were being told to rap, 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 which is a little frustrating because I do think that letting these things play out, you gotta let it play out. Also, he said he was he was sandwiching so much not true things <laughs> in each statement that it, it, you needed. Like, I didn't want to like not ca- call on Paulina, but like you couldn't let him get away with all that. And then the way we do the shows, like Robbie and I generally just alternate asking questions, but I felt the need to like follow up with the answers that he was giving that weren't responsive. And we haven't quite worked out how to signal each other like when that's okay or not. You know, I didn't want to step on Robbie's toes and I didn't want to keep pulling out of the conversation too much. But yeah, it was very frustrating because he made a lot of claims about what was causing inflation refused to commit to what he would want someone to do to actually resolve inflation, which is not easy, obviously. He pretended that Joe Biden hasn't opened up more drilling than Donald Trump actually did. He misrepresented, you know, Biden's position on oil and gas. He said at the end that he basically just didn't care. He says, I said, well, eventually I was trying to be polite. And I was like, well, eventually, no matter what you think about this, we're going to have to move to, you know, renewable energy because, you know, it's renewable and oil and gas and coal are not. And he's like, what are you talking about? Of course it is. And I was like, oh, Lord, what is this brain genius about to say? And he says, well, there's 500 years worth of uh, oil and gas and stuff in the ground before it runs out. And I was like, well, some of us who care about lungs might be worried about the impact of spinning all the carbon that's trapped in the earth into the atmosphere. But thanks for joining Rising. We'll see you next week. And, it's, and it's- he kept trying to talk again, like while the music was playing him off. Yep. It was a lot. And like and like like I said, and here's Pavlina basically just going by her talking points as though he didn't say anything at all. And like she like she does like she's a fine economist. She is, and she's a great writer of books and uh, you know, papers and research and things like that, but she is not suited to that kind of thing at all. And like just the kinds of things that she just let slide that, that came out of that ghoul's mouth. It's just like I said, she stood there and got gored. Like she doesn't know how to, how, frankly, how to handle aggressive mansplainers. And you know, there's some people who do and some people who don't. And unfortunately, like a lot of the, uh, like MMT in particular, economists, like the the best females at arguing, uh, happen to be foreigners that aren't uh, don't have quite as much expertise in the U.S economic situations Mm -hmm. uh you know like i've talked to one from china one from india um you know there and there are some like really great lady um you know heterodox post-keynesian economists that are not quite mmt but mmt adjacent but uh like honestly like when you're gonna have a panel like that like i don't know if there's some pull you can exert with the producers to 
just get somebody that's actually competent to represent that side. Well, can you say can you just say who it is that you think should be on? Well, like I said, Steve Grumbine would probably be my first choice just because he has a lot of experience. Yeah, he's in charge of of real progressive. No, but he's the kind of person who would be available because, like, for example, we can all sit here and be like, "I would love it if I'm not saying you're saying this, but I would love it if Stephanie Nelson were on to defend or whatever." But there are people who are like busy and aren't. There's this balance between who's good and who's available. You know what I mean? Yeah, actually, he's really good at working these kinds of things into his schedule because his day job is, uh, you know, he works as a project manager for Pennsylvania DOT. A lot of his work is remote and flexible in schedule. So, like, he does a lot of stuff for Jordan Cheriton. Jordan Cheriton will call him at the last minute and just he'll pop on there and in between meetings and things like that he'll push one back for an hour or 30 minutes or something like like he will work in those kinds of appearances so scheduling would not be a problem i don't think with uh with steve grumbine but okay you know yeah i mean that's like that's some like that's an option uh for those kinds of, of panels and he can, he's actually really good at keeping it civil even when people are, uh, you know, kind of combative or aggressive or in bad faith like that. But that's, you know, that's one option that I would suggest. Okay. No right. taken. And I appreciate the suggestion, Jonathan. Yeah, that's, that's the main thing I had. Like everybody else kind of covered all the things that I wanted to talk about because you got a lot of smart people in your calling queue. And, you know, I never mind if you uh, let new people or non-males uh, cut in front of me at all, like just <laughs> as a general rule, because you, like, you, I didn't notice until you pointed it out, like, on the third episode that I was part of, but, like, uh, I'm sure you pointed out many times before, but it really is a sausage fest in these sometimes. So, yeah, like, and, and that, <laughs> and Amanda was, was, Amanda was a great person to hear from. Yeah, for sure. So. Not sure what to do about that. I think about it all the time, but that's, that's a, that's an issue for me to work out. I appreciate you calling in, Jonathan. I think what you're doing is r- the right thing. So, yeah, I never mind being part of it, so. <laughs> I always appreciate For the you. record. Thank you so much. Keep the faith, my All friend. Right. All you right. Uh, I want to hop around a little bit more. Carlos, you seem like a fresh face. What's on your mind this evening? Did I catch you off guard, Carlos? There you go. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I'm at work over here. So, uh, yeah, I was trying to call it, was it yesterday or a few days ago? Mm-hmm. All right. Monday. Here's the thing. So, I try to avoid all the drama stuff. I stopped watching the Vanguard Boys, mainly because they remind me of uh, the Progressive Voice. I don't know if you remember him, but uh, mm-hmm. it's just I'm kind of fed up with all that, especially people who um, I think they're 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 fairly young. I'm only a couple years older than them, but I'm not arrogant enough to think that I could just hop on stream and um, just start talking out of my ass as I am doing now. <laughs> but um, one thing that really bothers me about the whole uh, drama with James is people seem to forget. I think one of the worst things that he's done is whitewash what the Young Turks actually are. Right? We know he's admitted to this, that he was a genocide denier, meaning genocide. We know that the Young Turks were essentially... You know, the equivalent to Mussolini's black shirts and the brown shirts in Nazi Germany, right? So we know this about the Young Turks. We know he was a genocide denier. And now when you ask anybody that is, you know, relatively online, 
you know, or progressive on the left, what a young Turk is, you know, they think of this progressive show. And I think that does a disservice. I, I mean, if I'm being blunt, I think that's helping a, a form of a, like almost genocide denial of the Armenian genocide by whitewashing the name so blatantly. I know uh, Anarchy Sparen used to get a lot of uh, heat for working with uh, a Turkish man who was a genocide denier being Armenian. There's a pretty uh, famous video of her online arguing with somebody you know, that called her out. But yeah, I just want to say that. Sorry, I'm at work. So it's, uh, it's yeah, no worries. Look, I, I, I got to say, I've heard people talk about that, but just like I wasn't especially interested in going in and all of the stuff about, you know, what has happened between the HR department at Young Turks. I, I'm, I'm not trying to cover for anybody. I honestly just don't know anything about this. Um, but, you know, I've heard people say that that's true of Jank, and I've heard people make criticisms of Anna for being a part of the show as a consequence. But I got to say, that's all, like, third-party knowledge, and I'd right. rather not corroborate anything that I just am not party to. And, like, my, right. my beef with Jank is honestly just not about, or, or historically, obviously, we kind of quashed it, but... I, it's not about any of that. So like, I, I totally appreciate people having those concerns. Um, yeah. yeah. Just on the larger aspect of it, the reason why that's frustrating is because then these people get on their high horse and start pointing fingers at others for not being mm -hmm. leftists, right? Now mm -hmm. for me, like, honestly, if you're not, if you're not talking about seizing the means of production, then like, you're not a leftist, you're a centrist that is flirting with, with the left, right? So, but I'm, I'm not out here like actively listening to people saying like, this person's not left, this person's not left. Because, I mean, I grew up in the States. Like I've been indoctrinated. I've, I've been proud of being a so-called American, right? Uh, it wasn't until I really started like digging in into books like uh, from a native daughter from Trask, who's an um, indigenous Hawaiian woman who documented her struggle for the liberation of Hawaii. Right, mm. that, that things like that started making sense. Where I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Like, okay, I read Wretched of the Earth, and most of what Phnom wrote went over my head. But from what I could grasp, I was like, man, like, yeah, like, there's a lot more to it than uh, just that. Especially in the American school system is pretty awful. But I guess that's my larger frustration where we literally see uh, these people that grew up fairly well off. You know, Sam Cedar, his father's a lawyer. Mm -hmm. He's trying to speak for the working class. Uh, we've seen how, how, you know, it's kind of frustrating because it's like, you don't want to get into like the personality aspect of it. I just want to take in the information that they provide. And I was trying to do that for quite a while until the big incident with uh, his employee, Jamie Peck, who I'll be honest with you, I never cared for, but I've worked with like in the food service industry for many years where these uh, male bosses, the way that they speak to the female employees compared to their male employees is, is you know, it's so distinct that seeing him yell at a, at a female employee like that compared to how he spoke in disagreement to his male employees was just night and day. And something like that for me was just like, all right, man, like clearly, uh, you, you're putting on a face for your progressive viewers and you act another way privately and it, and it showed itself. The way that mm -hmm. you were so quickly willing to 
uh, label you as an angry black woman. You know, you, you call that anti-black. But let's just be honest. I've, I, I'm not from the from the East Coast, but uh, I've traveled enough to know how these like uh, Northern liberal, um, so-called progressive, how they express the racism, right? And for me, that was a racist behavior on his behalf. You know, whether or not he's a full-on racist is really irrelevant to me. I, I understand that he's Jewish, but when a white man starts like uh, speaking like that or expressing himself like that, that's all I need to hear. That's all I need to know. I, I, I don't have time to make excuses for people. I don't have time to hear excuses for them. I understand that anti-blackness and just racism in general is, you know, we're socialized to accept it. But at a certain point, I mean, the man's like 50 something and he's been on the so-called death for how long? So it's just unacceptable behavior. But uh, it's putting food on the table. So he must be doing something right. Yeah. Well, look, I, I appreciate that critique. And again, I'm, I'm really trying hard not to get <laughs> Right. Um, but, you know, well, uh-huh. So just because I don't just want to offer the drama and stuff, uh, I did want to recommend one book. Sure. It's um, The Basic Principles of Marxism-Leninism mm-hmm. um, by Sinson. He was a Filipino uh, revolutionary. I didn't know this, but the Philippines is waging the longest socialist war. Uh, and, and for me, um, it really kind of made everything kind of simple and broke it down. It was kind of like an introductory course for uh, a lot of the peasant workers in the Philippines. So okay. I like I like the idea. Of, I like what someone saying that something's readable and simple and broken down. So I appreciate yeah. that. Listen, I, I struggled to get my bachelor's. And uh, a lot of that, that academic jargon, like, it's repulsive to me. Uh, I, I with you. I like my books, like, I like my TV. Reality, <laughs> the subtitles on. <laughs> there it is. There it is. Well, thank you, Bree. Have a good night. Thank you so much. You have a good night, too. All right. Sorry. I actually closed the window for a second. Okay, Rob, the sheepdog with the adorable hat. What's on your mind? Also, guys, I'm gonna. I'm trying. We're we only have about ten minutes left, so I'm trying to. If everyone can keep their comments a little shorter, we can get through. You know, maybe three or four more people here. Uh, I know it's my fault for not doing better um, time management, but Rob, uh, can you unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind? Rob the sheepdog going once. Rob the sheepdog going twice. Okay, Mark, what's on your mind? Hi, can you hear me? I can hear you, Mark. Hello from Australia. Hello. What time is it for you? Yeah, yeah um, I can hear you loud and clear. I'm, I'm just uh, calling in. Uh, um, I've, I've heard you talk before about uh, about um, you know what the the left can can do. You know what actions we can take and all of that kind of thing. And I, I mean, I. I can't really talk to that because I, I don't know what people should be doing, but uh, I, I, I've noticed, you know, people want to talk about left and right, um, about, uh, um, you know, free market versus versus top-down control and everything. But what I believe is an interesting th- thing to look at is is federated systems, you know, peer-to-peer systems versus top-down. And like 
all of the best systems are, are federated. You know, like d democracy purports to give to give you know everybody um, uh, equal power. Um, capitalism, you know, in its ideal state, is is meant to give everybody power. But the powers that be want to make democracy, um, you know, something where you need a fat wallet to to even be part of. Um, capitalism, you know, monopoly is sort of squishing down on everything. I mean, the internet was was born as as being peer to peer, and and it's part of the reason, um, you know, why why uh, call in can pop up, you know, when when we're getting the the squeeze from from Google and YouTube and that kind of thing, mm -hmm. uh, and and I I think that idea about federated versus top-down systems you know and, and and these systems like democracy and capitalism that that everybody purports to to love and and that that sort of swing between being a federated you know peer-to-peer -peer kind of system versus a top-down uh thing you know it's just i just thought it's an interesting thing to look at um and uh, empowering normal people to act. I mean, in the, uh, our current systems, normal people feel, feel powerless. They can't act. Uh, I mean, I've been part of uh, the, the open source sort of free software movement, and, and that has kind of empowered people to act. You know, mm -hmm. the internet was you know bill gates tried to shut down the internet he tried to make it the microsoft network but like the internet succeeded because it was more federated it empowered everybody um and like i think we you, you know like just thinking about what we should do is empowering other people around us somehow and you know being a nerd um I've sort of chosen to do that through through IT. Mm -hmm. Um but but yeah, like I, I just thought you know, thought that that was an interesting thing to to think about and something that I haven't heard before people talk about really. Or, or, you know, it seems so obvious, but it's it's not. And and you know, like Bill Gates was I mean, the reason why he's annoying everybody else and and is out of IT is because he was basically driven out of the um, the, the space, the, the IT space. Like, there's no Microsoft network there now. He doesn't like he has some some power, but not as much power as he, he could have had had he won that that fight. And uh, yeah, it, it's it's interesting. And, and like the, the founder of the World Wide Web, I forget his name now. That his name escapes me, but. Um, you know, like like there are all of these nerdy people trying to empower each other, mm. uh, and I mean, you know, the, the reason why there's a Jeff Bezos to, to start with, you know, he's done terrible things eventually, but the the reason this whole uh, sort of um, uh, you know brand of of person came up. You know, all of these other people came up after Bill Gates is because they were they were empowered, and also because 
we, you know, the computer nerds of the world were pretty politically moronic and sort of replicated the same kind of system that, that birthed Bill Gates in the first place. But, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, but, like, I, uh, I think we, we've had some um, interesting conversations in the podcast around, you know, the possibilities and potentialities in Bitcoin. And there was a robust debate here in the call-in chat about the differences people felt about the revolutionary potential of that technology. But I do, you know, I always appreciate um, conversations about the role technology is going to play, especially in a communication capacity. I think a couple, a week or so ago, we were having this conversation about the replicator and whether or not that played a necessary role in the Star Trek utopian universe. I mean, to get rid of want, could do that. Can you have Star Trek without a replicator? So I really appreciate you. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm not, yeah, I'm not really talking you know, I'm, I'm not saying, yeah, yeah, like technology is certainly important and everything. And, and you know, obviously it's central to a, a lot of, you know, uh, podcasters' problems, especially, you know, and, and the control that, that certain people have over it. But like federated systems, uh, you, you know, making things federated rather than top down, you, you know, I heard somebody call it the cathedral versus the bazaar, you know, like everybody becomes free to act and, um, you know, empowering each other. I, I, I think people have been talking about it. Um, uh, what are the, what do they call it? Like um, uh, mutual aid or, or something. I, I don't know mm -hmm. what that is, but uh, I, like, like, uh, Crowd, I think crowdsourcing be, money yeah. and giving direct money to other people in the community in need yeah, just solve, like, solving the problems directly on a more local basis as opposed to looking for the federal government to distribute funds to address the issue yeah may, maybe like um, it seems like the powers that, that be just, just want to, to make things top down and and the more that we can make everything, you know, all parts of our lives, you know, like like I've seen, for instance, um, uh, just in in technology, I've, I've seen um, uh, teaching platforms, you know, be, being able to teach on online, you know, people can run that themselves, you know, rather than paying, you know, hundreds and thousands of dollars to 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 go onto a, a system or uh, um, running hospitals, I, I think um, the 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 um, US VA hospitals uh, have, you know, th their whole system. Um, I, I think they call it Vista now. Um, it, it's available for anybody who wants to set up a hospital. If you've got the expertise, if if you've got um, got people who are trained and and knowledgeable in in uh, in running a hospital, you've got the the infrastructure there um, to to go. Um, you know, it's one less thing stopping you from acting. Whereas, you know, all of these 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 capitalist top down systems seem to be suppressing action. You know, you know, just enabling each other to 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 act in in small ways. Um, mm. you, you know, becoming more more free. Uh, Hmm. And I've seen it. I've seen it work. I mean, you know, I've been working for for ten years straight, and I haven't spent 
a, a scent on, uh, you know, like I've helped um, uh, the, the people that supply my IT in other ways and, and you know, given them customers and all that kind of thing. But, you know, it just frees, frees you up, you know, from, from being controlled from some nameless manager somewhere. Yeah, it's, yeah. Um, but anyway, but, I'll shut up. I'm yeah, look, thank, thank you so much for calling it. I got to confess, I think some of that was, I, I obviously wasn't necessarily understanding it. That might just be that it's a little too late in the evening for me. I'm sorry, it's, it's not you, it's me. But I really do. I, I see a lot of engagement in the in the chat, and I really do appreciate you calling in. And I'm sure when I go back and I re-listen, it, it'll register for me a little bit better than it, it does at uh, 11:30 after a little bit of a long day. So, sorry for being not really clear. No, uh, it's not, it's not, it's probably not, not you, Mark. I I really want to say something insightful in response, but I. I, I don't think I don't have the capacity, so I'm going to have to go on and try to get one more caller in, but I appreciate you calling in. Uh, okay, I'm going to go to Ben with this cartoon. How are you doing, Ben? Doing good. How, you, how are you at this point? <laughs> I'm doing all right. What's on your mind this evening? Well, a couple of things. Uh, I'm a U.S. Army veteran, and I can absolutely say that his comments about the VA are nonsense. Uh, if he... <laughs> The VA is good at anything. It is, unless you're in like, you know, the best hospital in the country mm-hmm. uh, or VA hospital in the country, it's it's not great at all. Mm-hmm. Before that, though, I wanted to talk about um, a couple of episodes back. Uh, you were talking about veganism and then the episode transformed into a pretty uh, like defeatist uh analysis of the nature of sort of screaming into the void and trying to do your best. But from my perspective, I would have not found this channel or any progressive uh, talking points had I not subscribed to The Hill or Rising or your contributions there. Like, I'm, I'm sort of like a social libertarian sort of, you know, not the kind of person who's like, you know what, let's, uh, let's support the Second Amendment and uh, women's rights, but not like fire departments, who needs them? Like, like <laughs> dumb stuff like that. Uh, but at the same point, the the polarization of our society foments a particular kind of characterization of ideas that is super toxic. And it's extremely refreshing to have somebody who is, quote unquote, on the other side of a particular position uh, describe their points in extremely reasonable and understandable uh, talking points that are not like libs of tech talk or something else <laughs> that can be easily chalked up to being nonsense. Mm-hmm. The Yeah, just the point is you're doing a great job. And I feel like that uh, towards the end of that one particular episode, it, it felt like it was, a, it was a frustrating experience. I cannot imagine what it's like to be in your shoes. But for some grouchy centrist veteran like me, you've done wonders. Look, I really do appreciate that. I was, I was reading some of the comments on, um, it was, I think it was Robbie's radar earlier today, which, mm-hmm. you know, I, you know, we, it was, I thought we, I thought we had an interesting conversation at the end of it where we, you know, largely agreed on stuff. His radar, for those of you who didn't listen to it was about, um, the teaching style, uh, teaching reading using phonics versus this other new yeah. method in several schools mm-hmm. or districts, uh, California specifically, had tried this other method that it seems has not worked very well. 
Uh, and now they're pivoting back to the original like phonics methodology. And that seems to me to be a perfectly fine thing and a perfectly unobjectionable story. But I feel like the way it was being reported was trying to make it a kind of culture warish. Like, look what these people in California did. These woke parents tried to change how their kids learned to read. And now the kids are all set back. And this is why we shouldn't do wokeness. And I, I'm exaggerating, obviously. This isn't what Robbie said. But I felt like yeah, that I was some it, of the... But yeah, I got you. <laughs> some of the subtext. You know, just watch that. I don't want, I'm not trying to be unfair to Robbie, but... And so I, I picked up on that aspect and it's like, look, of course I agree. They obviously tried something. If the statistics that you're reciting back to me aren't good, then that's fair. But I'm a little curious as to why you're covering this. Is it just because you have a deep-seated interest in children's education? Well, no, it's obviously because this is some story about how someone said that the original phonics teaching was white supremacy or something ridiculous. And you're trying to make a big case about how woke people are insane. But what I'm, what I'm actually seeing is a case where the the, te- the states are the test kitchens of the nation, and this is what all the federalists want, right? California elected a bunch of people to their school boards who wanted this to happen, so this happened. They changed their minds, so they're changing it back. Isn't this exactly what conservatives want all the time? I don't see how this is a story. And a bunch of the comments were like, Brianna doesn't have a kid, so she doesn't understand learning laws and how bad this is. No, you're the ones that are libertarian. You're the ones that said that you want these states, you're conservatives who want these states to be able to do what they want to do. Like, I don't know what to tell you. You guys can't have it both ways. And I thought Robbie and I had a really decent exchange where we were like understanding what each other was saying. And Robbie was like, yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying. Like I admit that this is kind of culture war flair that maybe isn't really fair. And it's, it is dispiriting to feel like you had a really good talk and like agree 99% with someone who is very ideologically different than you are. And all of the comments still want to paint you as like an enemy. (laughs) You know, and it's the same, like, I did this mask radar today, and it's like, I have never once in my life, go back through the tape, advocated for mask mandates. Now, I also haven't said lift the mandates, because this is one of those issues where I was unsure. As, As someone who has these libertarian socialist tendencies, I tend not to like the idea of mandating anyone, especially when it comes to something like a vaccine. Masks I cared less about, to be honest, because it's not as intrusive. But especially around vaccines, like I'm black, Tuskegee experiment, et cetera, et cetera. I have some, I think, legitimate hesitation about forcing people to do stuff when the government hasn't exercised all its potential to just ask people to do stuff or make incentives for people to do stuff. Like we should, I think, exhaust every possibility before you start forcing stuff. So it's weird to me when I do when I talk about masks and people say, you've been forcing, you've been arguing in favor of mandates for years. I'm like. Where, where were you a year ago? A year ago, I promise you, I was not talking about masks. <laughs> I wasn't. Yeah, show me can, the lie, right? Right. right. Like, show me can, where I've been doing this. Exactly. You, you can fault me for maybe not speaking up against the stuff. But again, I don't weigh in when I'm not sure and the evidence is unclear, especially when there was something as grave, a medical, you know, with the, as grave implications as COVID. So that's all to say I was a little down earlier today about it. <laughs> um, but I appreciate your comment. Like one of you is worth like a thousand uh, comments in the comment section. Well, good. I mean, I can't, I can't pretend like uh, all the hate is, uh, is easy to deal with, but um, I will say that that particular conversation did illuminate a, uh, a particular talking point that seemed to be like very much, this is a big deal online and in real life, like with real people, not a real, real issue of any uh, substance. Um, and yeah. I feel like that's increasingly common. You've heard yeah, so what, what they're doing. And I don't mean to attribute this to Robbie in particular, but what I've noticed, what I've learned from being on rising is that there is a strategy. I mean, everybody knows this, I guess on some level, but 
the, what the right does is they find it's like the libs of TikTok as an as a as a political strategy nationally. Libs of TikTok oh, yeah. has many many true things. Most of it's just straight up true things scraped from people's TikToks that are cringe. And of course, you can find people are cringe. Just like I, I could have. Uh, right wingers of TikTok. That was all people saying, you know, no separation of church and state, and Wait, you know, but, but Herschel Walker. You already, you already have you already have that on the Daily Show when there's <laughs> some dude with a microphone who wanders into a QAnon right. or Trump rally, and just anybody who's near him will say the craziest stuff imaginable right. Right. into a microphone. Like you already got that stuff exactly. But what <laughs> libs don't take that those examples and be like, the Republican Party is off its rocker. They are like, that, that represents the fringe, but let me try to court Liz Cheney. You know, <laughs> the, the conservatives uh, have taken a different, I mean, I mean, okay, like Jordan Clapp Klepper or whatever the Daily Show does make fun of those people. Yeah. But I'm not oh, saying yeah. that. Oh, yeah, he's good at doing it, you know, but I'm saying that it's it's mostly a similar vein right, of like the public statements made by people who are crazy. Yeah, but politicians, like Chuck Schumer is not giving speeches saying, look how crazy things are because uh, what someone said oh, at the yeah. Trump rally. And they're not, like, For retweeting sure. this stuff and all that stuff. Ron DeSantis and them are. And they're making yeah. legislation based on libs of TikTok. So that's kind of like a microcosm of what, you know, the story is with Robbie. It's like, okay, you found – now that all of the mandates are largely gone, right? Yep. There's only, like, a handful of states, like two or three states that have them. By, by next spring, Hawaii is going to be the only state that has the mandate. So there's not True. you can't even complain about that anymore. Like I, I don't mean that dismissively. Like the people had some legitimate complaints about it. They weren't consistent. They didn't follow the science. They were kind of haphazardly applied. Fine, but they're gone now, largely. Okay, you thought you won. They're gone. The conversation has got to move on from this at some point because at a certain point it becomes if you say the word mask, everyone's like, I can't trust you because you lo- you cling to your mask. Somebody told me in the comments, you're clinging to your mask. I'm like, I'm sorry. I thought you loved people to choose their choices. I choose to right, mask up yeah. in public and in tight spaces. I'm sorry. Like, I'm not yelling at you for not wearing a mask. So let me choose my choice. So like, I you you take something you find you search far and wide for something discreet that's happened somewhere, and you make this. Uh, representative of all of liberals everywhere. And it's very effective. And I found, like, the, what I tried to do today is to say, I'm not going to argue with the idea that the underlying thing was wrong. Just like I'm not going to argue that a lot of these libs on TikTok are not extremely cringe. I'm going to just make you explain out loud of what relevance this is to the rest of us. And that's yeah. what I was trying to do with Robbie. I was like, okay. Obviously, thought no, it seems better than this other job, thing. So why, why, honest, why like, should I care? Why, the, why should the viewers care? And also, isn't this right. what you want for states to be able to do these kind of experiments and then work it out? And I think that's why I thought it was a good conversation. And, and I'm working on it. Like, I don't know the best way to handle these things all the time. Sometimes I get mad. And I'm like, ugh, culture war. This is so stupid. And I roll my eyes. And I'm yeah. not always at my best. But I do think it's worth just asking folks. Why does it? Why should this matter to me? Oh, Ron DeSantis is having a real one about some, you know, trans teenager somewhere. What does this have to do with me? You know, like yeah. just also how many how many of these trans teenagers are there actually? Like there was that one case in like uh, was it Wyoming or Minnesota uh, or something where Utah, it was Utah? Yeah, there was Utah. Like one there was girl. one student. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then when it became clear that this whole policy was geared towards like some one person's little child. The local community even was like, oh, this is mean. I don't want to do it anymore. Exactly. It feels unfair. And if you want to get somebody riled up on the internet about anything, make them feel like something's unfair. Like, oh, boy. (laughs) That's going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. 
I, I'm, I'm a, I'm, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to get off. Uh, I don't want to take up more people's time if I don't have to. Um, but generally speaking, I will also say, though, shout out to Manhattan, Kansas. That's where I live right now. Hey, um, do you know Gang Gillespie? <laughs> I actually don't. I do know um, the, I've met the mayor, uh, not the mayor, the governor, um, uh, gosh, uh, Kelly. I've met her a couple times. Uh, it was actually, I mean, Kansas, it was getting painted as like a super red state. But we've had a Democrat governor for a couple mm. of years now. Like mm. it's, it's less than you think so. But anyway, I'll let someone else get on. Uh, I just want to let you know that you're doing a great job, even for the centrist slash weird, uh, <laughs> nonconformist political people out there uh, and keep up the good work. I think I really appreciate that, Ben. Thank you. And I don't mean to pull awesome. Gen Gillespie, who was this random dude that I sat next to once when I paralegaled at a law firm who happened to be the only person I ever knew from Manhattan, Kansas, <laughs> into this conversation. Um, but thanks, Ben. All right. Andrew has been really kvetching in the comments about how he has a very, very, very short thing to say. So I'm going to let you say it, Andrew. I appreciate it so much. Um, so Chank said that he took you out of the fake leftist camp and you said that you felt that you resolved the situation. Um, I just would like to know if you think that this will last or if you believe, and I know you might give him the benefit of the doubt, but judging by his language that you're on someone's team the next time you have a political disagreement, since this was based on nothing, don't you see this happening again in the future? Look, I hope not. But okay. part of why I've been trying to stay above the fray and the social media is and not retweet anything or like anything when people have been saying how much they, you know, en- enjoyed me in that debate is because I, I honestly just don't, I don't want to poke the bag. Like, I want things to be a good for as long as they can be good. And that maybe I'm sense. not giving Jank enough credit. And I apologize if it sounds like I'm, I'm not giving him enough credit. But, you know, I can see a world where, you know, if I do, let's say... Let's say I did have Tulsi on the show or Jimmy on the show. I, you know, I, I hope this isn't the case, but, you know, I hope, I hope we don't live in a world where the second I do anything that can be seen as corroborating the idea that I have an alliance, quote unquote, with people, that it will prove his point and make him feel like he's justified in renewing that line of attack. I hope, I hope and have to believe that he wouldn't do that. And okay. I just hope that maintains. Like, I just, I gotta just hope. I, I'm a cynic, I guess, or I just see it a little bit differently because I know you think it might be a personal thing, but I see it as a structural thing more. I believe that there's a big difference in people that have these different mindsets and you represent one side and TYT. And it's not just that. And it's not just Jank. There's a lot of people that represent this other mindset. And I think it's a territory battle. I don't think it's personal. And I think you're a good person. And I understand the value in your perspective, regardless of it's personal or not in wanting to keep things good and above board as long as possible so i really appreciate you uh taking the time and uh watching me uh nag in the comments <laughs> no worries andrew thank you so much for keeping it short and sweet all right thank you uh thank you all you are all delightful as always this has been another Wonderful. I said I was going to do a short one tonight, and we know how it goes whenever I say I'm going to do a short one. It always ends up being at least three hours. But it's because uh, you guys are great. I queued up my music, and I was so ready to go, but the sound, for some reason, is not coming out of the soundboard. But you know what? I can fix that, and it's fixed, right? Yeah, there it is. Okay, so everyone take care of yourselves. Enjoy the weekend. I will see you on Monday. 
I think it's going to be a really good episode. I'm recording it tomorrow. It's going to be about this FBI stuff, and I have some real experts to talk really substantively about what it would look like to actually abolish the FBI um, and why it should be a left project and not something that's left up to the likes of Marjorie Taylor Greene. Please do, you know, I know that a lot of people are, you know, under financial pressure, but if you can go to YouTube and like and subscribe to videos, um, hit the notification bell so you see when things are posted. I really appreciate that. Would love to grow the channel a little bit. Don't I deserve one of those little plaques from YouTube to put behind me in my setup? <laughs> I appreciate all of you and keep the faith. And I'm singing this song to you. I know your image of me is what I hope to be. I treated you unkindly, but darling, can't you see? There's no one more important to me, baby, can't you see through me? Cause we're alone now, and I'm singing the song to you. You taught me precious secrets of a true love withholding nothing. You came out in front when I was hiding. Now I'm so much better, and if my words don't come together. Listen to the melody, cause my love is in there hiding. Time. I love you for my life. 
Singing this song to you. 